0: It is very rare these days that the Stanley Cup is won by a team that hits a home run in free agency Most times it all starts with one pick and then several other picks. It's building through the draft that separates the good teams from the bad teams. And much like every time we do this in late June, there's a lot of good talent to choose from. Was the Devils' first overall selection the right one? Did the Rangers choose wisely with their pick? Is Chicago's retooling a short-term project after picking in the top three? And which teams are one step closer to a Stanley Cup title? We break it all down in this special edition of the Lace Podcast.
1: it's time to lace them up
0: here's brett and steve and welcome ladies and gentlemen to the 2019 nhl draft recap show on the lace em Up podcast i'm steve ellsworth
2: i'm brett duboff
0: and today we've got started joining the program to talk about everything that happened this past weekend all the trade will be dissected in a separate episode this is all about the players that were drafted friday and Saturday and the guy we're talking to is a fan of the team that coincidentally held the first overall pick and he's been on the show before but it's been a while so let's welcome back to the show Chris Mazza Chris first of all thanks very much for joining us today and uh, second of all tell everyone a little bit about yourself because it's been a minute
1: well thanks for having me on gentlemen um, it's always fun to sit here and uh, and any chance to get a chance to uh, talk about hockey it's it's always just just fun, um, and so I really, really do appreciate you bringing me back on. Uh, it was fun last time we did it. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a uh, fantastic time again today. Um, I am a uh, a contributor or a writer for uh, for Dover Prospects. Uh, my team that I'm covering, uh, you guys might enjoy, it, is the Boston Bruins. Ooh. So uh, whether or not it's during this podcast or uh, or later on, we can certainly talk about all that if yeah you would like to. Um, because I began with them at uh, the end of last summer, uh, and it was uh, it's been a thrill writing for them. Throughout the uh, throughout the season, and um, and so it kind of really got me back into the uh, the path of looking into uh, to prospects more in depth, and so uh, I think I took a bit of a break during the 2017 draft, but uh, got back into it uh, a little bit more during 2018, and then uh, full swing here in 2019. So I um, I tried getting as as much exposure to uh, to a lot of these guys for for uh, this upcoming draft, uh, with this, I guess the draft I just passed, um, as as much as I could. Uh, being a double spin, yep, yeah, a little, a little bit surreal. Um, the entire weekend, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a blur at this moment. Uh, it's going to take some time to process uh, everything that uh, that happened. I think um, we'll, uh, we'll take a brief, uh, a brief pause to be, uh, to be a bit of a fan here for a quick second. And uh, I think someone, someone, I uh, saw a tweet that's that someone put out, and they framed it quite properly. The uh, the Devils' ratio entered uh entered vancouver with uh with two franchise players and he left with four and that uh that might be i think the best way uh to possibly frame how this weekend went and again that's going to take some time to decompress and 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 figure out just exactly uh well what i think the outlook is for the team in the season but uh i think it's safe to say that it it would be good
0: yeah it's funny because ray shero for the longest couple of off seasons didn't really spend all that much and then just one day he drafts Drake Hughes and then he makes a monster trade. Yep. So uh it's it's funny how he just resurfaces, he's just like, Yeah, I'm back, watch this. Exactly and just drops the yeah. mic and does that.
1: And the uh the beauty of it is that I think a lot of Devils fans, they um throughout last season, so exiting the um last offseason season, so exiting the surprise playoff run, I think a lot of devils fans were um were crying for uh for Shearer to make some big moves and try to uh to add to a team that had made the playoffs right but i think it's safe to say that that team was a surprise playoff uh, playoff appearance and so i'm personally glad he didn't do anything too crazy last offseason but everyone was crying because he made i think it was a legitimate grand total of three free agent moves um in the offseason they were all depth minor guys i think the first guy we'd signed last offseason was eric greba and so i mean it was uh it was those kinds of moves that um that defined ratio was offseason last year and everyone was upset about it and and i can i can tell you all over devils Twitter, all over devils wherever it might be fan sides um blogs wherever it might be everyone was crying for him to make such major moves this offseason he's not disappointed so far
0: yeah well you, you you look at that kind of reminds me of of the ottawa senators in 2017 when they went on that playoff run that no one expected they did barely much of anything the following offseason and they sucked the year after. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he was kind of mindful of the Sens' playoff run and how, how much of a shock it was. And they're just like, okay, let's wait this set so maybe we don't become the next Pottolitan. <laughs> yeah,
2: maybe that was their thing. It seems, I mean, we'll talk more about the P.K. Subban trade uh, tomorrow, um, on tomorrow's episode. But um, it is kind of unsettling that, like, um Ray Shiro, uh kind of fleeced uh David Poyle cuz David Poyle usually does that fleeces other teams and now it's the yeah. opposite around but you know ratio has kind of had a good track record in terms of all his trade histories it seems like he fleeces a lot of gms um, the bruins included but um yeah <laughs> um, so um yeah we'll we'll start things off i think if if i I think we were talking this off air, but the last time you were covering, or you were on the air with us, uh, Chris, was in the twenty sixteen draft, which is kind of fitting that you're you're here now, because the first overall pick went to an American center, and then the second overall pick went to a Finnish right winger. Um, so, uh, so it's you know it's it's like same kind of territory here um, in that in that regard. Um, also a lot of Americans were drafted in, in those two, uh, in 2016 and 2019. So, um, it's also very fitting in that sense, but, um, obviously it was unintentional, but, uh, so I'm glad, glad we have you here, but let's start. Uh, so we, we, we're going to start things off with, uh, talking about, we're going to go in depth on the first 10 picks, um, for you and we'll just go in order, obviously. Um, like we can each talk about what we think this player is going to be, obviously not like other than Jack Hughes, um, and Kako and maybe Bowen Byron. I don't think we'll see any of these players in the next season. Um, but, am um, obviously just like how, how do they fit into the team? Um, and if it was a reach or not. So, uh, we're going to, Oh, yeah, so uh, we're gonna start off with Jack Hughes. Um, of course, he uh, he played for the U- U.S. national um, development team, um, which is kind of you're gonna hear a lot of um, <laughs> lately. Um, he had uh, he had 78 um, assists, 34 Goals in uh, fifty games, which is incredible when you think about it. That's one hundred and twelve points in fifty games. That's about um, uh, two points, uh, two points per game. Yeah, it's over more... two points per game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I actually have the stat here. That's two point two four points per game. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, he was drafted by the New Jersey Devils. Um, yeah, let's start with Chris, the expert here. Uh, what do you, uh, think of how he'll fit with the Devils?
1: So, I, um, there's one thing that's baffling me about, uh, about the Jack Hughes selection, um, and about the entirety of, of whether or not the Devils will have picked him for the last month or so, basically. And the one thing that I can't quite wrap my head around is how dead set people are on making him a centerman. I, um... I, I to be perfectly honest, I believe his best fit is going to end up being at left wing um, okay. in New Jersey. I, I I believe he's better suited as a winger. I believe his skill set is better suited as a winger. Um, I know for for a while, uh, Patrick Kane, for example, so we'll use the the individual he's most heavily compared to. For a while, he was viewed as a center. I believe in the draft, they actually had Kane pegged as a winger, so I think he made that uh, that. Um, paper transition earlier than Hughes did, but I, I would be surprised if, um, as early as next season even, you don't see Jack Hughes breaking through as a winger. Okay. Um, and that's not to say he can't do it as a centerman. I mean, there are a lot of guys around his size or around what his size projects to be. Guys yeah. like uh, Sebastian Aho, guys like Giroux before he made the transition to wing, um, that are right around that same size that made center work quite effectively but I mean even you look at those two guys there Aho and Giroux both of them have spent time on the wing and both of them you could arguably say have had their better seasons while playing on the wing. Right. Um, I think Jack Hughes with the way he plays the game and the way he thinks the game he almost he kind of needs to be at center because it's where he can uh, he can control the ice and he can control the play uh, most effectively but I think in terms of his longevity, uh, and I, I don't want, I hesitate to venture too far into the realm of, oh, small player gets hurt in, uh, in the NHL, because there are plenty of guys that can make it work, but I just think the, um, the game and the physicality that comes with being a sediment in the NHL is much more than that of, uh, of a winger. And so, you look at a guy like um, like Marner, for example, as well, who's able to use his uh, his shiftiness um, and his ability to uh, to escape physicality. I think he's able to do that more so because he's playing on the wing, and there's less the rigors of, of playing the game on the wing um, don't require for as much physical uh, physical play as it is a, as a centerman. So I would love, I would love nothing more than for the Devils to have a, uh, a one-two center punch uh, locked in for the next decade or so. And if it happens to be Hughes and sure Hughes, fantastic. I'm I'm super happy with that. I just I, I question whether or not he will actually be able to make. Um, in longevity in a career at center work or whether or not he might be a better suit uh, on the wing.
2: Yeah, that's an, it, that's an interesting take. As I hadn't really thought about that before because he's, he's 5'10 and 170 pounds. Um, and usually centers are a little bit bigger than that. So that could be an interesting thing. I would like to just see uh, Hughes, sure Hall line. Uh, Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, just to have the three H's, the three first overall picks um, Mm -hmm. all on the same line. But it also makes sense that, like, I I mean, obviously, you know more about the Devils uh, depth chart, but I believe the Devils don't have a ton of centers in their system. So it might make more sense to, like, just out of necessity to make him the second
1: line center. Um, you're right. you're absolutely right in the fact that there um, there are not a lot of centers that can take that role. Um, the Devils spent a good chunk of time drafting centers or trying to build up that position. So Mike McLeod in 2016, obviously Heischer in, in 2017, right. and then Zaka in 2015. Oh right, I forgot. About um, that. And the problem is is that the uh, the upside swings on McLeod and Zaka they haven't quite hit the uh, second line center role that that they were. Hoped to be upon draft day. Now McLeod, I mean, he's only had one pro season, and he had a, quite a um, quite a good first AHL season. Um, uh, given given, I guess how his stock had kind of dropped as a prospect, I was a fan of, of how he played in the AHL this year. I think it's all I could have expected out of his first pro year. Um, now Zaka as well, he turned on the Jets in the uh, in the second half of the season, and he actually ended up finishing. Uh, with uh with quite uh fantastic second half this year second or I guess last, last quarter I'd say was his most effective stretch of games. Um but still it's um they're they're missing that piece there at second line center and it's it's that gentleman is not Travis Ajak anymore. Travis Ajak is a perfect and effective third line center, but they were really hoping that either Zach or McLeod could have stepped into that two C role by now. And again if it if it means Jack Hughes fits that spot then fantastic. If um If it doesn't then you know we'll just have to uh, to look elsewhere
2: yeah that's an interesting thing i don't know um I, i don't want to get too far into this but steve do you have any thoughts on jack hughes just in general
0: well pretty much everyone that had a mock draft had him going first overall so um for the for the longest time he was the consensus first overall pick Um, I think it was certainly a bit more of a debate as we got into the final days before the draft. Um, But, you know, he's got everything you could possibly want out of a superstar. I mean, the skating is there, the agility is there, hockey sense is there, fast hands, moving with the puck, both solid. Just a guy that sets himself apart from the rest of this class. And he, he is a guy that is constantly learning. Like, he didn't have that big of a role with the US at the World Hockey Championship but you know he was he was just soaking up like a sponge and he wasn't dominating at the World Juniors but I I think he was he was gaining a lot of confidence you know you could there were some plays where you could see his skill on full display so the potential is definitely there for the Devils to really reap the rewards and again like you said Brad 112 points in 50 games if you're a numbers guy um, that just reaffirms that we already know that this kid is a very talented player and he's got a bright future. Yeah. Um, the, the thing with um, where he fits into the Devils, honestly, the New Jersey Devils, when when I look at the bigger picture and when I look at the players in their system, I think this draft choice wasn't about strengths and weaknesses up front, whether it's on the wings or down the middle. They could use help on the wings. They could use help everywhere on defense, on goaltending. <laughs> Hughes could be a number two center for this team or he could be a top line winger and you know what his role might change depending on what happens with Taylor Hall in about a year or so but if Hughes can be the player we all think he's going to be the Devils have a star and if you have holes on the wings you can go shopping on July 1st because the kid practically sells himself
2: yep that is a good point all right, uh, let's go to Capo Caco. Uh, we're going across the Hudson River, as they say. Um, I believe yeah. New Jersey and New York City are across the Hudson River. Um, yeah, actually they are. I, I actually was there. Yeah. Once. Um, anyways, uh, we're going to uh, uh, New York here with the second selection of the draft. Uh, the Rangers got, um, got a pretty good pl- uh, consolation prize. Um, in Capocaccio, um, it would have. I, my dad's a Rangers fan, and I remember him saying that he kind of wishes Jack Hughes went to the Rangers just because of, of a marketability factor. But um, you know, the American um, going to like the biggest market in New York would, be, would sell itself, kind of thing. But um, but at the same time, you know, the Rangers got a very solid player. And a couple of people were even saying that Kako may end up being better than Jack Hughes when all all is said and done. Um, he uh, played in La Liga, uh, or TPS, uh, the team directly is called TPS. Not sure what that means, but uh, he had, anyways, he had 22 goals, 16 assists um, in 45 games, so that's uh, 38 Points in 45 games. Um, he was even more impressive in the World Juniors, uh, where he had five points in seven games. Um, and uh, he also played in the World Cup, where he had six goals in ten games, including uh, a goal in the uh, the championship game. Uh, he won, but uh, he also won in the World Juniors, the World, um, the World Championship. Um, and I think he also didn't he like the the team won like his uh his team also won I think so he's, yeah so
0: so Finland won the under 18s that was uh, this right. past summer they won the under 20s which is the world juniors and they won the world hockey championships he was a part of all three
2: yeah so uh so he was uh he was a and he was a he was a vital part in all th- all three of those teams um so uh, yeah, he uh, he's a winger. Um, although, like <laughs> you, Chris, you have me thinking now because I see here that he's six two um, and one ninety pounds. So he's he's a little bit heavier and bigger than Jack Hughes is. But he could be a center, I guess. Um, but it it seems like the Rangers have a fair amount of good prospects in the in their pipeline, uh, not just Elias Anderson and Philip Hedel, who are up on the you know. Who are on the pro roster now but there's also kraftsov who they drafted last year and keandre miller um there's also uh, i think there oh kraftsov and um and uh niles lundquist um if you want to get down to it sean day they have adam fox who they're probably going to sign pretty soon so the rangers um have a lot of different prospects but capo caco's by far their their biggest uh has the one is the one who has the most upside out of everyone I just mentioned
1: most certainly um, he certainly does and there's it's it's odd. we're gonna we're sit in sitting here and there's there's storylines to be to be had um, everywhere surrounding Hughes and Kako, yet uh, realistically I think at this point um, they are probably well they are the two prospects that Probably don't need as much uh, as much time um, because we know what they are. They're both are yep. both superstars. They're both going to be superstars. Um, you mentioned Capo uh, playing or having the potential to play center, and I I, I do understand that, uh, especially given the size and how he can read the game. He um, he did spend some time at center uh, in the league this year with CPS, uh, but the majority of the season was spent on the wing. I think his game translates better than wing. whether or not he can or he has the ability to play center which i think if he were to make that transition or if the rangers were to force their his hand on that um i think he could do that quite effectively however i think he's just honed his craft at um at the uh, at the winger position and i think he's found a way to use his size his skill his physicality most uh most effectively on the wing because he's one of the things that stand out most uh, when watching his game, and, and I'm sure anyone that uh, that watched the World Championships could attest to this as well, is the fact that at such a young age, it's absolutely remarkable how Kako is able to to shield uh, to shield the puck, and and it's almost the the, the same comparisons have been made, and the same um, the same player has been used to define that portion of of, uh, of Kako's game, but it's almost yogur-ass, where he just he sticks his butt out there, and no one can get up around it. No one can get to the puck. Um, uh, no one, no one can even get in, in the vicinity of it. He's he's so effective at shielding the puck, and then his hands are able to match how quickly he's able to move his body around, which is beautiful because then it, it allows him to uh, to to create open space for himself and for his teammates. And then he's a smart enough and a creative enough player a creative enough winger, then be able to do a. a remarkable things from that position from the positions that he uh, he puts himself in so it's it's beautiful to watch him play uh, he's got superstar winger written all over him he likely slots in as their first line right winger immediately next year um i don't know if they start him on the second line third line just to kind of break him into the league but i i can't imagine it takes more than a couple games or even just training camp for that matter for uh, before they recognize that he is their uh their first line winger uh, entering the season um, now, you uh, you mentioned that a lot. May have uh, have viewed Kako as better than Hughes, um, and and it's funny. Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier as well, Steve, the comparison to the twenty sixteen draft of the American and the uh, the American Center going first yeah, and maybe. the Finnish winger going second. Um, and it's 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 funny. It's it's easy to make that um, that comparison. I do believe this this race was a bit tighter than the uh, Matthews Line A race. But it was actually quite similar. Where um, uh, you, you, leading up to the day of the draft, you still had the majority of um, of the population viewing Jack Hughes as the uh, as the first pick. But there was still that that group that saw Kako as um, as the top pick. Same thing in 2016. The almost the exact same majority saw Matthews as the first pick with. Uh, small contingent sitting there and, and being on the the line a bandwagon saying well you know what he can be better i i think he's gonna be better let's uh let's take him first i uh i think at the end of the day it it played out the exact same way as in 2016 i think the um the as much as Kaku is a, is a phenomenal player is going to be a phenomenal player in the league for a very long time um i think the the upside and um and the upset of Hughes I think is just is just what what separated them uh, I think it's just that that slight bit more that he could potentially bring over Kako is what uh is what created that difference but again it, it's it's at this point it doesn't matter and I said this going into the uh, the lottery night as well
2: yeah
1: uh, and I'm sure Rangers fans would have said it uh, as well uh, or even Chicago for that matter before they found out um, that amongst the three teams remaining they ended up getting the third pick at that that point. For the ranger and the devils it didn't matter who was picking one or who was picking two they're both getting an elite franchise player and um and the beautiful part about it is that that rivalry that was a very important rivalry for the league for a long time this should kick start kick start that again and it should spark uh spark a back up and i mean obviously as a devils fan i'm uh i'm excited for the rivalry to uh to come back into play yep. i'm happy that the rangers got the second pick i'm happy they got kako um, it doesn't matter to me that they're getting a a superstar player. um, It's exciting because rivalry is very important for the league I think.
2: Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's also like, uh, it's kind of you mentioned a rivalry in the division, it's like and I was just thinking how like Crosby and Ovechkin are in that same division as well, so that's kind of a cool thing it's like a younger version of Crosby and Ovechkin where you can like they're not really the same players but they're always going to be compared to each other for the, the rest of their career absolutely um yeah Steve do you have anything more on Kako
0: yeah so a lot of people might be thinking that being a top 30 point scorer in the liga in Finland is not glamorous if you want to make the NHL in your late 20s but for a guy who's 18 years old to be a top 30 scorer before he's 20 is impressive um back in 2013 when barkov was the top three pick uh um ended up having uh 10 more points uh than kako did this year and you look at the season barkov had he had like 35 goals and 96 points in his sixth nhl season and you look at the goal scoring Barkov had one less goal than Kako did so um, it's it's interesting to see a player at the age of 18 playing against men whose game is so polished where he could make a significant impact in the NHL um, next year even and and like you said the the international success what really got me it's honestly the the day of the draft I thought Kako was getting taken over Hughes just because of what i saw at the international level like this guy was ready to play in the nhl level and i buy the argument that the upside of Hughes is why he was taken first overall and i could honestly see both scenarios but um when when you look at the rangers from a positional st- from a positional standpoint um like like down the middle they have guys like zibanejad uh, who have improved they have guys like Kravsov in the mix now, um Brett Howden, uh Elias Anderson, all those guys are centers. If you look at the wings, there's a lot of question marks on uh, the right side. Right? Like Nemesnikov, Ryan Strome, Jimmy VC, Jesper Fast, Brendan Lemieux, Pavel Pichnevich. Like guys like Namasnikov and VC are kind of streaky, Fast is decent, but Shnevich has upside. It doesn't invoke fear to me though. Like I don't fear the Rangers on at right wing. Like, they, they have decent talent, but they don't invoke fear. Like, I shouldn't be worried about them. When you add a guy like Kako positionally, I think that was the right way to go for the New York Rangers. Okay. So, I like this pick.
2: Cool. Um, great. Uh, Now we get... I feel like uh, this draft is, like, you know, Hughes and Kako are the, for sure, like, they're a level ahead of everyone else. And then there's, like, about three to about like 20 like about I don't know 10 or 15 players who are like you could legitimately make a case for the third overall pick uh, the Chicago Blackhawks yeah. uh, made uh, uh, they they felt that Kirby Doc uh, was the best of that that group on uh, next group um, which is an interesting thing because I would have probably gone with Bowen Byron but I guess uh, the Blackhawks had already drafted a lot of defensemen in the past two drafts uh, with Haru Bod- Bodine, and uh, Bogfist um, but but at the same time um, you know they got a good player um, in Kirby Dak uh, he had he played for the Saskatoon Blades of the WHL the Western Hockey League um, he had uh, 25 goals uh, 48 assists uh, his total points is 73 um and, and that was in 62 games um so yeah he was about a, a point per game player um in that league um but uh yeah the it's it's an interesting uh pick here uh, just because i thought they if they were going to go center they would probably go with alex turcott because it seemed like alex turcott had better numbers that way and had a higher upside but at the same time, uh, you, you can't really go wrong with uh, any of these, like you know, Turcotte, Cousins, um, Zegra, um and Dak. Of course, like you can't. It doesn't seem like uh, all four of those are like um, going to immediately bust uh, right away. So we'll we'll see. Um, and also, like the Blackhawks, do need more center depth than uh, defensive help. Um, so I, I think they just selected Kirby Doc, and um, they'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, Chris or Steve, whoever wants to speak up.
1: So I, um, for a long time, I, I actually had Kirby Doc as um, as my number three, okay. and um, I think it was right around probably january or february that's uh bowen byram he i don't know what he did that opened my eyes but it, it he locked himself into a spot where i um i think my understanding of his game and and who he was as a player took on a complete different perspective and so he ended up at my number three um you mentioned that you basically anywhere from pick three to twenty you could you could make an argument for going at through overall yeah. Um, for me, I saw that as basically a three to eleven. Okay. Um, I saw three to eleven. Basically, it, it was they were interchangeable. I wouldn't have been upset if um, if anyone. Uh, I should I should correct that story. I'd say four to eleven because Byram ended as a uh, as a firm three for me. Um,
2: yeah, that's fair. <laughs>
1: anywhere from four to eleven, I'd say they were interchangeable. It was, um, and that didn't include any defensemen in my line. They were all forwards that uh, that would have been in that grouping. Okay. Um, I I didn't see, uh, and we'll get into uh, to Mr. Moritz Sider in in, in a uh, in a minute. But uh, but I didn't see any defensemen pass by him that justify themselves being a top ten pick. Yep. Um I uh, I was a fan of Kirby Doc though. We'll um, we'll, we'll stay stay a bit on topic. Well, uh, I was a fan of, of Kirby Doc. I uh, I know. Leading up to the draft, there were a lot of rumors that it was going to be Turcotte, and that was that was final. I think a lot of people saw the uh, the ties that he, he had to uh, Chicago. I believe he was uh, he was initially from Chicago. I think he was he was born and raised in Chicago. Huh? Um, and I believe I could be mistaken on this, but I believe there was another fit, another tie-in um, during his hockey playing career to uh, to the Blackhawks uh, front office. Well, yeah, he was uh, born in, uh, in
2: uh, Illinois
1: there you go um i think um i think it would have been a great fit i uh i believe Turkoff plays a game long game we'll get into him uh in a few in a few picks but uh, i think he played a game that was similar to uh to jonathan taves which would have made it a good fit kirby doc i liked him a lot and i do like him a lot as a prospect i was i would have been excited to see doc land with uh with anaheim because i i wanted to see him uh develop and learn under a guy like get because i think their game is also quite similar no. Um, uh, now with Doc, I think the big argument a lot had for him was um, was a certain lacking element in his drive uh, or in in his his competitiveness, which I some games you could see it, some games it w- was there. Um, it just almost seemed like you were waiting for him to hit uh, a next step or a next level. Um, but to the same point, I don't think that actually mattered. Um, because I don't, I don't see that as, as having been a problem, or I, even, I don't even see it as having existed. Um, I think he was just so much better than everyone else, every game he played in, that, um, that, that what he did with, uh, even with his, his skating stride, I think that was another area of concern for a lot of people with, uh, with Kirby Doc, was um, they, uh, they didn't like his first step, uh, which, again, I think that was very, very overrated. Uh, he, is, he is an exceptionally smooth skater, uh, his edges are are perfectly fine, uh, and his top speed is is great. It's just that first step, which I think kind of contributes to the fact that people uh, uh, people thought that there was a missing extra year, quote unquote. Um, I think it's just it's just that one component, and if we want to pick apart that one component, the the single first step in his skating, as um, as a reason to to drag him down, that's fine. Um, that's something that you can learn. A lot of the um, the edge work and skating is something that you can't teach. That's that's, and I'm glad to see that Kirby Dock is, is effective, especially at his size, with that. But it's uh, something like the first step you can you can bring in, you can bring that in later. Um, and so if he were to uh, to add that element to his game, pairing that with, with just how smart he is, his shot is a thing of beauty to watch, um, and just how smooth he is and skilled with the puck. It's um, I think the the concept of, um, of having a puck on a string thrown around a lot with uh, with players in this this draft class. Uh, a lot of guys almost seemed like magicians with the puck, and he is one. And so to combine that with how big he is, uh, and how effective he is with his size as well, it screams number one center. And, and so as much as I wanted him to uh, to learn under um, under Ryan Getzlaf, I think that would have been a perfect fit for him. It's not like Chicago was a bad fit either. Jonathan uh, Taves isn't is not a bad player to learn yeah, under. I think um, the fit the fit works out quite well uh, either way because it's going to help Chicago in that post Taves transition. Um And as much as you know, strom may have been the uh, the heir apparent after a phenomenal year by him. Um, and as much as DeBrinket is that heir apparent to Kane, right now they're in, in the, um, the the glory zone where all those players are still contributing at a high level, but eventually. They do need to focus on what will happen when Tavis's uh, when Tavis's game drops down to where he fits more as a defensive third line center rather than bringing much in terms of offense. And having a guy like Kirby Doc that might have a little more in my mind upside than Dylan Strome at this point, um, I think that's uh, that's an ideal fit for them. Uh, if both guys hit their ceilings and both guys hit their potential, having uh, Doc Strome down the middle is is fantastic in uh, in helping that transition. All
2: mm-hmm. right. Uh, Steve, anything else?
1: Well, uh, Stan Bowman was
0: asked about uh, this guy after drafting him, and the GM of the Hawks said he was so competitive late in the regular season in the playoffs. Uh, That's what really uh, grabbed his attention. Uh, Definitely has the skill set and the speed, but also brings size, 6'4", 198. Um, A two-way center, which, um, based on... A lot of the draft profiles I was reading, there are a lot of two-way centers uh, that were taken uh, yeah. in the first round. And uh, the Hawks obviously know how instrumental Jonathan Taze is to that team, and inside the locker room, obviously a great leader. You look at what the Blues did this postseason, how big Ryan O'Reilly was for them. He was their best player, their best centerman. You need someone to carry a torch and lead the way like Taze has done in the face-off dot for so many years. And I think this helps chicago's depth down the middle but i think it also prepares them for life after jonathan Taves. and it, it's not like that he was straight up killing it in the whl in his first season and it's been progressive development in his first year he had 10 points in 19 games with Camloops, and then he gets 46 points in 52 games uh this past uh the past year, 2017-18, only 7 goals. And then he gets 25 goals and then 73 points in 62 games this past year, along with 10 points in 8 playoff games. Um, So it it goes without saying that um, there are going to be several chances for him to make an impact on Chicago. Regarding whether or not they should have taken Bo and Byron at third, that's an interesting debate, because... If, you, if you're taking a look at the, the Blackhawks' defense as a whole, I mean, there are a lot of question marks, like Keith and Seabrook, their regression is a bit concerning. Um, Gustafson had a great season. He had a 60-point season, but you'll wonder if that's a flash in the pan kind of deal yeah. or how good he's going to continue to be in a couple of years. Ole Matta could be useful if healthy, and that's a big if. Uh, they also have Adam Bjorkvis coming up the bottom line is there's a lot of unknowns with that defense and a guy like Bowen Byram isn't going to fix everything overnight I know he can eat up a lot of minutes and and he's pretty productive but with a draft that has so many top line centers like if, if you look at some of the drafts like the the Ottawa center selected Eric Carlson like in the middle stages of the first round like, there are some gems that the Hawks could take defensively in the later parts of the first round. And, and there were a lot of good defensemen in the first round of this year's draft as well. It's just that in a year with so many good two-way centers up for grabs, I think the Hawks would be missing out if they didn't take one. So drafting Kirby Doc kind of makes sense to me.
2: Yeah, I guess it makes sense, but at the same time, it seems like Byram, which we're about to get into, um, Byram is so much like just from, like stats wise, and just from what the scouting reports I've read, it seems like Byram is like by far the best defenseman um, compared to well, all yeah, the other if you ones. you
0: need a replacement for Duncan Keith. This yeah, would be it, right?
2: Exactly. So that's that's where you you feel like oh like you know like sure the Blackhawks went defenseman uh, a lot in the last two drafts, but Byram is like better than all those guys if they had drafted him but uh so this will be something that i'm sure like five or you know even three years down the line they'll they'll uh we'll talk about it but um if if the blackhawks made a made a mistake in um in this but uh yeah it all depends on if Dak can uh transition and he he might be able to so we'll see
0: yeah it's honestly a tough call for the blackhawks because Oh, it's like, okay, who do we need to find a replacement for the most? Jonathan Taves or Duncan Keith?
2: Right. Right. Because
0: we can't, we, it can't be both. Like, we only have and, one. Pick. And
2: they already drafted defensemen last year. So they kind of already addressed the Duncan Keith replacement issue somewhat. Um, yeah. Anyways, that brings us to Bowen Byram. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he was drafted by the Colorado Avalanche. Um, it's interesting, too, because the, um, you know, this would have been the Ottawa Senators pick. I know um, I'm beating a dead horse here, especially with Steve here. But um, yeah. like Bo and would have been. It's, it's we never
0: been... have to talk about it again after
2: this. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I'm just saying that uh, Bo and Byron is like, would basically be the Eric Carlson replacement. Um, but. Uh, that's like a hypothetical that will forever be a thing now Um, anyways uh, Bowen Byram was very good um, this year um, especially in the playoffs but he played for the Vancouver Giants also in the WHL there's a lot of WHL players um, as we'll find out as well as the USHL so those two leagues did really well this draft anyways Bowen Byram had uh, 71 points in 67 games in the regular season, but I think what everyone talks about more is how he was in the playoffs, where he had 26 points in 22 games um, in the WHL playoffs um, for the Vancouver Giants, and he um, he kind of took it as uh, Chris was mentioning early on. He kind of took it to another level, and uh, he uh, he's he's a very offensively uh, minded defenseman um and uh those are those are a rarity um in this league so um i thought that the blackhawks should have taken him but i guess the avalanche have him. um they're they're pretty much set though in defensemen uh speaking about that because they have kale mccarr who's gonna be pretty good um and they have uh sam gerard who they got from nashville a couple years ago um Eric Johnson um, is a decent defenseman um, who can teach all these young players of the game. Um, and I think there were some reports that Bowen Byron could even play this season, uh, which would be kind of crazy when um, considering um, that he's a defenseman and they usually take a little bit longer to develop. But um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in with the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, I forgot about Tyson Berry. Um, uh, So they have a pretty good decor um, there in Colorado. So, um, yeah, I I feel like we've gone to Chris for um, the other picks. So, Steve, uh, why don't you talk about Bone Byron?
0: Well, this is what I found on Elite Prospects about him, and um, I can understand uh, why he was ranked so high. So this is what um, the folks at Elite Prospects have to say about uh, Bowen Byram: An exceptionally gifted defenseman who knows his strengths and plays by them. Possesses elite skating ability and is at his best when playing high-energy, up-tempo hockey. Handles the puck well, able to keep control under pressure. Makes calculated decisions that consistently shift momentum in his team's favor his creative creativity in the offensive zone speaks to his confidence in his ability to be a game changer defensively astute actively takes away lanes limits options for the opposition absolute workhorse who understands how to take advantage off of turnovers and shift the pace of play in his favor in all three zones so like we mentioned replacement for duncan keith eats up minutes puts up points can be trusted in several situations if this guy was available no freaking way the avalanche pass on this guy um just the monster season that he had his vancouver giants were one goal away from a whl title and a memorial cup appearance and they almost beat the best team in the whl to do it and now you have all of the other assets they have on defense uh, kale mccarr who made strides in the playoffs sam gerard who was involved in the matuchin trade Brett, by the way thanks for inviting oh, me
2: that um, it Sorry. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's okay it's inevitable like i said it's inevitable um they also have eric johnson like you mentioned connor Timmins, who could be joining the oh, world
2: yeah, it's another one. down
0: the road as uh, you already have zadorov who is a hitting machine too it's no longer revolving around two players i mean this is actually starting to look like a formidable defense. And you can say what you want about their offensive depth, but uh, they apparently they've been taking calls on Barry. If if you trade Tyson Barry with you're left on his contract and you get offensive depth, then so be it. If you think Byram is going to be the player you think he is in a couple of seasons, that's a trade worth making if you're Colorado. So I think they're able to do a lot more by selecting Bowen and byram than they could if they selected another forward which is apparently their calling card in the previous drafts whenever they've had a top pick it's always been a high-end four that can score but now they've got a formidable defenseman that is on the same team as kale mccarr like that's a solid one-two punch whether it's you know, one guy on the top line and another guy on the 2nd D de-pairing, it, it, it doesn't matter. They've they've got a formidable defense now. They've got stuff to build around. It's a big step forward for Joe Sakic, and kudos to them for making the right decision. I think it, it was a slam dunk choice. If he was available, they were taking this guy.
2: Yep. Uh, Chris, anything more to add?
1: So I'm um, just gonna come out and say it. I um, it may be a little controversial because of the recent a little bit of recency bias, and actually having seen Kyle McCarr play at the NHL level. But to be perfectly blunt, I, I think Bowen Byron all around as, as a as a offensive and defensive defenseman, what he can bring in both sides of the ice, uh, as well as in transition, both going offensively and then returning to defense to the neutral zone. I think Bowen Byron is a better player than Kale McCarr, and that should speak volumes, not to detract from how good Kale McCarr is, but to build up how good Bowen Byram is. Um, it's rare to find a guy that has the intelligence as well as the skills to match that, to do what he can do offensively, um, but to be able to pair that with making the proper decisions, both in terms of, uh, of of a larger, wider scale, in terms of his positioning and understanding, uh, and reading how to play the defensive game, but also in the minor items, uh, how to use his stick, uh, how to use his stick effectively to limit himself taking penalties, um, and how, how to make sure even something something as small as the uh, the ability to get under his uh, his opponent's skin. So the one thing that he did very underratedly in the WHL this season uh, is to be able to uh, to, to have that. That kind of uh, instigator effect, without taking it too far to the point where he was, um, he, he ended up turning into a negative for his team. Um, he has that ability, and so given all those items, given the fact that he uh, he can jump in on the rush, he's phenomenal in the transition. Um, he's he's intelligent enough to uh, to know how to and when to use his uh, his offensive abilities, um, but also smart enough to um, to play a sound positional uh, and and effective physical defensive game Combining all those items together. That's that's it just screams number one defenseman, which is why I ended up at uh, number three for me um, And the fact that he's sitting here as a left-handed defenseman and McCarr Kyle cars and there's a right-handed defenseman if you want to buy into that then you couldn't you couldn't frame any better the, um, the the avalanche are sitting there now with a potential future number one left-handed defenseman and a potential future number one right-handed defenseman. They've already got a number one center. Um, whether or not you buy into Philip Grubauer, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I think he's effective as of right now before they find a long-term solution. Either way, Colorado has the makings of, and this is not to mention you know casually Miko Rantanen um but they, they have the makings of what is going to be a very very scary team going forward the fact that they could do what they did in the playoffs this year without the offensive depth, depth without the forward depth because that's been their major issue right now and i think they were hoping tyson Jost was going to solve that yep but he didn't um and you know he still could i, I i'm a fan of tyson jones he still could become what they need him to be um but either way you look at beyond that top line there really isn't much going on offensively mm-hmm. in colorado um, and so some might sit here and say, okay, well, maybe they should have passed on Barber if they already have a car and taken a, uh, take a forward. I, I, I don't really agree with that. I think best player available is always and should always be the focus in the draft. And Bowen Byron uh, was far and away, I think, the best player available for them. And it, it sets up what could be one of the most dangerous defense scores uh, in the league for a very long time. I think Tyson Barry is as good as gone right now. I know, I know he's been in the river mill for basically or four seasons yeah. now um yeah. but i think this all that cements that i don't see a fit for tyson Berry on that team anymore um and that's a good thing because again that can that can just help them solidify getting some offensive depth for a team that should yep. realistically make the playoffs next year and should there's no reason why they can't make some noise if if both byron by all accounts should be ready to step in maybe not to 20 plus minutes a night but if he can step in there to 16 to 18 minutes a night Playing sound defense, learning how to play the program. I think there's nothing else he can do in WHL. If he can sit there and play 16 to 18 minutes a night, learning how to effectively transition into defense from the uh, from the junior ranks to the NHL ranks, there's no reason that team can't make noise next year.
0: Yeah, and and you, you talk about. Um... You talk about defensemen on the open market, and we're going to talk about it on the next edition of the podcast there, Chris. Um, a lot of defensemen got moved this past week. So Tyson Berry is the guy that everyone's going to be targeting now. So the app should have a, a lot of interest on him. And uh, I, I, I was kind of, well, I, I wasn't, like, I, I could live with the fact that the Sens were going to be taking Bo and Byron, but uh, now I'm kind of jealous that we don't have him. But
2: the Sens can't have nice things. So I, I, I've accepted it at this point. So anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, as for uh, Tyson Berry, I, you know, it, it, it does, it feels like there's not a ton of, just in the league in general, there's not a ton of like successful, offensive minded defensemen. So in that, And like I know the the Avalanche's biggest need is more depth in the forward thing. So, to me, it doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense to trade Tyson Berry, uh, just because I feel like you know there is more like there's more of a rarity in getting all these defensemen. So it's like a luxury that they have, kind of like what Nashville had um, before they traded PK Subban. Like it's um, it's a good thing that you have a lot of good defensemen. Um, in your system, and like two like elite blue chip prospects in your system, um, but uh, so like I I wouldn't be immediate to trade Tyson Berry because I want to see um, how Kel McCarr plays um, and how Bill and Byram is before I um, I trade uh, Tyson Berry um, right you
1: know this this offseason. I mean. At this point Kale McCarr and Bowen Byron yep. are nice, shiny toys. But I mean Tyson berry has been in that toy chest for right. for a long time. He is an NHL defenseman. Kale McCarr and Bowen Byron at this point are Hope Tools and by all accounts they should be. Yep. But at this point, you're right, Tyson Berry is an NHL defenseman and we know what he is. Yeah. So yeah, in in that
2: in that regard, that's that's really the only reason why I feel like Tyson Berry sh- it wouldn't Makes sense to trade Tyson Berry, uh, just because of how highly valued defensemen are, and we don't really know uh, what Byron or Macar are going to be uh, at a pro level. Um, I mean, obviously they they have a ton of upside, but um, but we we don't know for sure. Um, yeah. The uh, so the next pick, I feel like we have to take these guys uh, even more quickly. Um, but, uh, unless you want to do a three hour podcast, but, uh, let's do, uh, Alex Turcott here. Uh, he goes to the LA Kings. Um, he's another USHL guy. Uh, the second one off the board from the USHL. I think there was like 13 USHL in the first round or something like that. Um, anyways. Uh, in the, He was injured for a part of the year, uh, so he only played like 16 games for the U.S. Oh, wait, no, never mind. I got the wrong statistic here. Uh, he was in the development program. Uh, he, played, uh, he played 37 games um, for the U.S. National Under-18 team, um, which is the same team that uh, Jack Hughes played for. Um, he had uh, 62 points in 37 games. That's 27 goals and, 30, and 35 assists. Um, so that's, he has more of a goal potential than the other se- uh, top centers um, in the, you know, in the top 10 um, over Kirby Dock, Cousins, and Ziggurat. But um, so in, the, in that sense, I feel like Turcott has had the edge over the other centers Um, but, um, at the same, so I feel like, um, so in that sense, I feel like the LA Kings got the fourth best player, but, um, but again, not to knock Kirby Doc, he could be a good player as well. Um, anyways, uh, he's set to be a WIS, University of Wisconsin commit, according to Elite Prospects, so um there's that and um yeah uh let's go to chris we're gonna just go back and forth so um yeah chris uh what do you say about alex turcott
1: that's fair uh so i think four is well four is exactly where i had him he was my uh, my number four in this draft um and i can i can send you guys my uh, my top 62 if that was of interest um <laughs> just for uh for for post-draft uh who's it, i guess if you yeah, maybe we'll tweet uh, it out
2: or something i don't know he was
1: uh he was my um my number four i i like Turkot. i like his upsides uh i like the maturity in his game um he um, he, he makes quick decisions and it's 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 nice to see someone who can uh match his is, uh, his skill level with uh, with the ability to think and process the game uh, the only the only item I see with him is that sometimes um, making those quick decisions they are very very wrong it doesn't happen very often um, but when he makes the wrong decision it's it's very obvious it's very aggressive um, and it's it's a, uh, a force of him making those quick decisions he plays the game um, with speed with pace and um, and again, for the majority of the time, that doesn't matter. It's uh, it, they're all they're all fine decisions. He, um, he uses his teammates effectively, versus also creating space for himself. But sometimes, using his high end his guy high end skills, he's um, a great skater. Uh, I think that was a theme with that US uh, USDP team was. They're all phenomenal skaters on the team, uh, right from Jack Hughes, down to a guy like Alex Lassick. For as big as he is, fantastic skater still. Um, and so Turcotte fits that mold as well. Uh, he just played a bit more of a mature game than, uh, than another center on the team, for example, a guy like Trevor Zebras. Um, and so that maturity, I think, and his ability to, to step in both offensively and defensively might be what set him apart from a guy like Zebras. Uh, that, that was one of the more difficult items was trying to pair uh, on that team who was, um, who was driving the bus versus who may have been a passenger and not to say that anyone that on that team necessarily was a passenger because they all are exceptional talents in their own right and created uh and contributed to what was the uh, the most dangerous usdp team uh, they've ever had yeah. um and now a, it was just a matter of trying to find out what separates the different players uh, from each other so for turcott his ability to play a two-way game might be what separates him a bit more from someone like secrets uh, at least at this point in their development but with that being said Cherkov's sat there at four for me because as much as he is an exceptional two-way guy, um, he has a, a very, very high, uh, a very, very high ability to understand the game from an offensive standpoint as well. Um, he's got exceptional puck skills, and again, oftentimes he uses those to his advantage. But there are just a few occasions where his quick decision making and, and paired with those puck skills puts him in a spot where he could make the proper play. But when he's trying to force certain items in the game. It results in some poor decisions again. That's it doesn't happen very often, um, but it's just one item you be like to see him down and from an offensive standpoint, uh, at the next level. But either way, that's a um, except the exceptionally skilled player. plays so a very mature game, um, both offensively and defensively, and it's, it's fun to watch. And they they got a good one there.
2: Interesting, uh, Steve
1: yeah
0: this is an interesting um this is an interesting pickup as well um by the way uh seven of the first 15 picks came from this program that's almost half of the first 15 picks in the first round which is insane um and this guy was one of them um like you said another two-way center hockey sense skating compete level it's all there um it kind of reminds me of what the hawks did when they selected kirby doc you're trying to find a guy that down the line can fill the void that kopitar leaves behind and we saw that bounce back year from kopitar but he's been kind of up and down the past couple of seasons offensively um they could have chosen a lot of skaters here um but again like you don't get to see too many quality two-way centers in this draft and there were a ton of them so i can understand why maybe they take the risk of not drafting Cole Caulfield and maybe waiting until the later part of the first round when they pick again to uh, take him there? Um, and it and it turned out that his his draft stock uh, fell into the middle first round, so that was certainly a, a risk worth taking. But if they pass on a guy like Turcotte, uh, he wouldn't be there by the time uh, they picked later in the first round. the The thing with the Kings is that they're lacking on two fronts they're lacking in goal scoring and they're lacking in speed we saw it with the ducks we've seen it with some of the teams that you know won multiple stanley cups they they seem to thrive on speed and skill and goal scoring and and just overall defensive defensively sound play But those teams are getting older. They're not as fast. In fact, they're probably one of the slowest now. And it's starting to hurt the Kings, both when it comes to scoring goals and both when it comes to keeping up with the other team. So when you're drafting a guy that can play with a lot of speed and a lot of skill, um, I think that's kind of better than just going for a pure goal scorer like Hawfield. Because if you you remember um, earlier in this season, Um, around like February or March, Ty Feliber of the Ottawa 67s was absolutely killing it. Not drafted by a single team and he signed with the Dallas Stars. So you can possibly get goal scoring potential at the junior level when they're free agents. It doesn't happen often, but I think the odds of getting a goal scorer that way um, are better than finding... A guy like Alex Turcotte in the open market, it's, it just doesn't happen. So, I think they're wise uh, to take Turcotte. He's committed to, to the University of Wisconsin, so he's not going to be ready right away. But I think down the line, he's going to be important.
2: Yeah, um, and I think the the Kings kind of needed a good center because I mean Kopitar, um, obviously, is very good, but you know he's he's also getting pretty old. But he he'd be a good guy to. Um, rely upon, um, for, for Turcotte to learn on, um, one season, the league. Um, all right, let's get to, uh, the biggest surprise, um, in the top 10, uh, Detroit, uh, picks, uh, Moritz Seider, um, who is a defenseman. Um, he, he's a German guy. He had six points in 29 games. Um, and he also had uh, seven. I guess he had is that right? Seven points in five games in the World Juniors. But um, I think a lot of the scouts are saying is that he he played. He's like a he's a good defensive defenseman, but his offensive uh, offensive upside isn't there yet. Um, not saying that it it couldn't happen, but it's not it's not developed fully yet. Um, so it, it seems kind of crazy to me to uh, draft him so high. I know the Red Wings uh, needed defensemen, um, but like, you know, a guy like Caulfield would have been good. Cous- even Cousins or Zegra would have been good. But, um, and even if you were going defensemen, like it seems like there were a couple of other, defenseman that they could have taken instead of this guy. uh, Broberg, uh, Soderstrom, Cam York, um, Thomas Harley, um, one of those guys. But um, so I'm not against taking the defenseman. I'm just, I'm not sure why they picked this defenseman. And so we went with Chris for Turcotte. Let's go to Steve uh, for for Mort Sider.
0: Yeah, so uh, I called, color me obvious i was also surprised they took this guy at number six um on bob mckenzie's final tsn draft ranking he was ranked 15th overall um maybe at the highest he'd be at top 10 but getting drafted just outside the top five um is a bit of a shocker but who are we to doubt steve eisman at this point yeah, like when you look I'm... at what he did with tampa free agent drafting um The ability to make quality draft picks in the later rounds, a couple of first round steals as well. The fact this guy has taken sixth overall is trademark Steve Eisenman. Um, When you look at what Elite Prospects had to say about him, uh, how he was a mobile, very smart two-way defenseman with few weaknesses, um, a guy who plays a mature game, uh, makes strong consistent defensive decisions, also a pretty good passer good at getting a shot through it, it goes without saying the Red Wings need young defensemen Cronwall's getting older Mike Green's getting older it's starting to show on both fronts um, when you're looking for good two-way defensemen they're not too easy to find especially guys that are 208 pounds and 6 foot 3 I don't know if he can do the Cronwall as well as Nicholas Cronwall can but um, I think for Detroit, they need solid two-way defensemen. I think this guy fits that bill. Mm. I am a bit surprised they didn't go with Broberg just because, you know, they've drafted Swedish defensemen before, and one of them's a Hall of Famer, Nick Lindstrom. So uh, I'm a bit surprised that um, they didn't do the Detroit thing and draft a Swedish defenseman, but um, I'm willing to take a bit of optimism with this pick. I'm I'm not going to say that's like a draft bust or or a draft risk just because Steve Eisman's been in this league for so long he kind of knows what he's doing and until it's proven otherwise i'm not closing the door on this red wings pick and i'm I, i'm kind of 50-50 on it at this point but i'm not going to i'm not going to go out and say they screwed up
2: yeah i guess it's far too early from that perspective i guess it's just more like and it's hard to doubt Steve Eisman giving his his regimen, um, even as a GM, but it still seems kind of a, it's at least a risky pick to say at least. Um, Chris, what do you have to say?
1: So uh, the maturity element there that kept coming up um, as you were speaking there Steve, that, that is probably the best way to define his game. Uh, um, and I think this might be uh, the farthest away from what could be defined as a bust pick um, as as much as any other in the first round, because his game translates exceptionally well to uh, to a fit in the NHL. Now the only question might be the um, the upside and from the offensive standpoint there. And I think that's the only item that's missing. Um, and you know what? So there was a there was a rumor uh, going around during the draft during that top ten that Steve Eisenman was trying to trade that pick. He was trying to trade down. And so I, from that standpoint, I believe uh, whether or not that rumor is credible. Uh, or not, it was was floating around uh, throughout the top ten. Um, and I think it,
0: he he was actually interviewed, and I think he did confirm that they were trying to trade down, but it didn't work out, so they just made the pick.
1: That's fair, and so that that to me, um, it screams that Sider was always his guy, uh, and then it also screams that he's aware that this is maybe a position he's aware he should have gone at. Uh, however, again, if if he was his guy, who's to argue with it? um the the optimism I, I like that way to frame it that's the uh the best way to uh, to look at this pick because um you know what again who, who are we to question uh, if he believes he's his guy if he believes he has that uh that two way uh elite number one defensive ability then you know what absolutely we have to trust that um i i like where that potential is and I, and I see it and i get it i just don't know if it'll end up rounding out from an offensive standpoint um he, he plays a physical game and that's, uh, that's nice to see given a guy with, uh, with his ability to skate so well um, and so that screams again the creating the ability to, to transition well into the NHL it's just whether or not he'll be able to round out the rest of his game um, to, to add the points, to add the, um, the, the offensive ceiling that he I guess could reach, we'll, we'll see if that, uh, that comes into play, I mean he does have a, an excellent first pass um, he's great with the puck, and, and he can skate well with it. He's, he's actually through the neutral zone and gaining the offensive zone. I just I don't know. Uh, and personally, I, I would probably say it's, it's, it's more unlikely than it is likely that he reaches the, um, the offensive uh, numbers required uh, or that would be expected out of a, out of a high-end number one defenseman. And, and I, I support drafting best player available uh, rather than need uh, in any circumstance. However, if you're going to draft for need, um, you know what? I, I think Detroit has the a decent situation for it, getting uh, the two guys they did last year uh, in the first round uh, offensively with their offensive ceiling. I uh, I do support the taking the Hickland defenseman here, and so I know what if you tried trading down because he's aware of all that, and then, uh, then that's fine. It just didn't work out, um, and at that point, if you're forced to make the pick, make the pick, take your guy, um, and if Warren Soder was his guy, then again, who are we to argue? I I it was. It was a surprise it, it it could be viewed as a bit of a reach but again he is still a good player he was he was number 20 on my board um, he is he was a first-round talent and so like, I like I believe that um, that the range of players was the forwards from picks basically four through eleven uh, but you guys mentioned earlier that that basically from three through twenty it could vary and so again he was sitting around right the edge of that of that is um, that grouping right around 20 for me and so if this this pick reminds me a lot of um, of last year Barrett Hayton to Arizona. Yeah, um, that good. was that's probably yep. the best way to frame it. If, if Hayton was Arizona's guy last year, they believed in him. Not not everyone else saw him as uh, as a pick uh, that should have gone that high. But if, if he was Arizona's guy and they really believed in him, uh, who's to who's to uh, to blame them for taking that pick? And so the exact same thing happens here with uh, with Sider. If that was Steve Eisman's guy, then then absolutely good on him for taking him.
0: And, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like uh, a lot of teams, you know, if, if Eisman was going to trade down, you know, they just flash back to the previous deals. They made him just like, OK, what he's up to something here. Right, What's he doing? So like, and, just take up the phone and don't call him back. Yeah,
2: right. And also, Barrett Hayden actually had a pretty good season this year, too. So it's <laughs> like it, it seems to be working out for them. As well, but that is a good comparison. I also didn't realize that Yastrzemski wanted to trade down, so that kind of changes my perspective on things. But still, it feels like a, um, it still feels like a bit of a reach. But I don't know; it's hard to doubt uh, someone like Yeiserman, Um So far, at least. Um, let's go to uh, the seventh pick, Dylan Cousins, um, is the seventh overall pick uh he uh is uh he played for he played for the Bridge hurricanes um of the whl he had 34 goals 50 assists um 84 points in 68 games um apparently he also it says here on elite prospects by the way that's where i'm getting all my information here um he also played right wing as well as center so i am curious um in a couple of years, what they're gonna do? The Sabers are gonna do because they also—I mean, obviously they have Eichel, Reinhardt, um, and Skinner at at their top line, but they also got this guy uh, Casey Middlestead. Um, they traded away Ryan O'Reilly partly because uh, they thought that Casey Middlestead was going to be the second line center, um, and so now they drafted Dylan Cousins. Um, kind of to, I feel like that's going to be a competition, but maybe they could also move, make one of those guys into a wing, um, winger. And, um, but it seems like, uh, Dylan Cousins has played right wing, um, in the WHL. So that may already be, uh, be happening. So we'll see. But, um, at the same time, um, this is a pretty good pick. Um, he, uh uh he had uh yeah so i said his stats but um i also wanted to point out that he had a 0.5 goals per game so that's uh pretty good for a center um yeah so chris uh w- what is your uh thoughts on dylan cousins
1: so there were a lot of interesting storylines entering this draft um whether or not it surrounded specific players specific teams specific leagues um, you look at the NTDP team, and it was a matter of sorting out where to, to slot those American players. Um, another one was the um, was the WHL centers. So you look at Doc, you look at Cousins, and you look at Peyton Krebs, and it was a matter of figuring out where each of those guys would fit, uh, where they would fit in rankings, where they would fit along uh, certain certain teams in their depth chart, um, and you can make the argument for any one of those three centers going going before the other um, and just that was a really interesting storyline to follow um, I um, with Cousins I think of those three he um, it was his goal scoring ability that would set that part of the game aside from the others um, whereas other areas like his one-on-one play maybe would falter behind a guy like, like Doc um, so with Cousins I was a fan of him um, I, uh, I liked him as, as a prospect I liked him all year long he was uh, a bit more consistent than the others I'd say as well um cousins sat at number seven for me he um he's got the goal scoring which is nice i think in buffalo it, it's a, a fantastic fit you mentioned casey middle i think for them for the uh for the sabers it'll basically be a race to uh to the second line center position whoever gets there faster between yeah. middle stat and, uh, and cousins i think everyone had a lot of the expectations for middle last year which he didn't quite reach and and that's fine it's as it, it was his first pro season uh, and so as much as he unlocked expectations it's it shouldn't be a surprise that he didn't quite reach them all in all taking out the expectations middle didn't have a terrible year for a first year pro a young first year pro but uh but he still has some growing to do and whether or not his game transitions better to center or wing at the nhl level the same argument he made for, for cousins i think whether or not his game transitions best to center or wing remains to be seen i like him as a center and i ideally would like him as a center over middle I would like to see that play out in Buffalo but other way that's a good problem to have yeah um,
2: true.
1: I think they were in a similar spot to Colorado where they are searching desperately for forward depth and I think you pair a guy like Cousins now with uh, existing prospects like Middlestat and like Alex Nealander, for example and I think they have the makings of what could be a decent middle six group of forwards and so I, I like to pick a lot I like the Cousins pick a lot um he's exceptionally fast uh he's got a great great shot and uses his body a bit more than guys like Krebs or Doc did he's a bit more physically he, he has a bit more of the um the big physical strong number one center elements that I guess Doc or Krebs didn't quite exhibit in the WHL this year um, and so I like that I like uh, I like his fit in Buffalo for that uh, for that reason I think he'll bring elements that will nicely complement the um the high-end skill that Eichel will bring to the first line. Uh, again, the one thing that I see about Cousins's game is he's uh, he's a bit weaker in terms of the one-on-one battles, one-on-one pure skill battles, uh, going in into the offensive zone. But that's fine uh, again because he doesn't necessarily need to play that role with Buffalo. He can be a uh, a nice two-way, effective offensive second-line centerman with them, and I think that will work out perfectly. And I think um, that should be a realistic expectation for the Sabres with this pick. And um, and I do like it a lot, I like the fit very much with him. Um, and again, it'll be a race in my mind between him and Middlestat to find that second line center spot, I believe Cousin as I'm taking it. Uh, but it'll be, uh, it'll be a fun storyline to watch and I think it's a good fit for Buffalo.
2: Yeah, that, that is a good point. I mean, it's a good problem to have for Buffalo. And you, you can tell that I'm a fantasy hockey player because I'm, I'm thinking way ahead of this stuff. So, uh, so Steve, what what is your thoughts?
0: So with uh, Moritz Seider, he was the first German-born and trained defenseman drafted in the first round. Dylan Cousins was the first UConn-born hockey player to be drafted in the first round of any NHL draft. No, so that, no. uh, Buffalo made history with that pick as well, and in the top 10, too. Um, what's interesting is, is how he became an NHL draft pick, because in Whitehorse, as you might have guessed, not, not too many people live there. Uh, Not as populated as other parts of Canada so as a result you don't have too many proper hockey leagues to play in, Uh, not just the place you call home but across the entire territory. And when Dylan was 13 or 14 he would go up against people of different ages. He was basically playing beer league level hockey. The competition itself was not the most ideal stage for him. So he goes to Alberta, plays with the left bridge Hurricanes of the WHL. In his rookie season, he gets 22 goals and 53 points in 57 games, follows that up with 7 goals and 13 points in 16 postseason games. And then, as Brett mentioned, um, he had 84 points during the regular season this year. Um, Again, two-way center, hockey sense, skating, plays with all of that. Not afraid to finish his checks when he's chasing the play, which is great. Uh, Good playmaker, good shot. But I think that minor chip on his shoulder the road that he took to get here required lots of practice on every aspect of his game he had to stick out in order to get noticed because the microscope on his hometown isn't really fixated on 24 7 by everybody so now that he's drafted by an NHL team he's going to get to work he's going to use the same mindset that got him drafted and I think that really separates himself from the rest to the point where uh, the sabers while they drafted seventh i think they got a potential top three pick just because of the work ethic and what it took for dylan cousins to get here
2: yeah that's a good point i i like this uh this pick for for the sabers i feel like he's he's gonna be a good fit for them um if if he's gonna be the second line center third line center even on the second line wing it seems like he's that's something that the sabers need to address um when when that happens so um so that that he seems to be a good player uh for them obviously um let's go to the eighth pick here philip broberg um steve alluded to this a while back um but um He's a Swedish defenseman. Um, he kinda had a, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Mord Sider in the sense that he doesn't seem to have a ton of offensive upside, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't have any or that it won't come. Um, I guess the, uh, the, he played most of his games in Alsevskan. Um, I don't know how to pronounce that league uh, for AIK. Um, in 41 games, he had 9 points, um, yeah, so, um, but uh, I mean, it, it seems like he's, uh, he's a great skater um, and uh, can play defensively very soundly, so uh, let's go to, I guess Steve, you get all the defensemen here, uh, so, so Steve, what, what are your thoughts on Broberg?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting because the Oilers already have Dmitry Samarukov and Evan Bouchard in the system. All of them, or both of them, have got offensive upside. Um, What they're really looking for is young two-way defensemen, which if Broberg turns out to be the player they're hoping he's going to become, he's a gifted two-way defenseman. And you're looking for a good skater um you're looking for a guy that's going to make good decisions with the puck a guy who's going to make the most of whatever time and space he gets and you look at the defensemen that the oilers have right now andre secure is one of their better all-around defensemen at the moment the problem is his health is a major concern and he didn't play much of last year if at all So if Broberg can be that all-around blue liner that the Oilers desperately need moving forward, their young defense is going to look a bit better. Um, He's also been hyped as one of the best skaters in this draft class. He's got a good stick and a good reach. Um, I think this is probably the most hands-down pick the Oilers could have had uh, if Broberg was available. Um, I think he was their guy from the get-go.
1: Yeah, so... Oh yeah, sorry. this is this is this is where this is where it starts to get fun. I think we all been yeah. on the same page for a lot of the picks um, this this draft. I don't like Broberg. I'm not a fan. Um, I I think entering the day, there were um, there were a few reports out there. I believe Ryan Rashog was uh, was one of them that came out and said the um, the feeling amongst the Oilers brass was that if uh, Broberg was there I think they were taking him. Yeah. Um, and so that was basically known entering the draft i i was not a fan of so as a result i wasn't a fan of their pick before they even made the thing okay i i understand um the like for broberg i understand how he's got basically every element that you'd want out of drafting a a young defensive prospect it's got the size it's got the speed it's got the shot but with that being said i and you know what, I, I could be entirely wrong and and it's I'm not I'm not casting him aside as a, as a prospect, he still very likely was a first round talent he was still in the first round for me I just, I did not like him anywhere near the top 10 I think his game, it's very raw and I think it's so raw and there's a lot in it that I don't see him being able to put together those raw elements um, he's a very fast skater and that's great but he's a very unpolished skater. There isn't a lot of smooth uh, elements in his stride. His edge work isn't great. Uh, His shot is fine when he's given the time and space to use it in the offensive zone. But I think a lot of his his point totals, um, especially at international competitions, were a virtue of being given a top defensive role on a good Swedish team. He, um, again, he's fast. It, that He might be one of the fastest players in the entire draft. There are plenty, I know there are plenty of videos out there of him in a Swedish jersey coming from his own defensive zone, flying down the wing uh, and entering the offensive zone, but he doesn't know what to do when he gets in the offensive zone. Oftentimes, yeah, I'm sure people would stop watching after, after you watch him fly to the neutral zone, but what happens after he gets in the offensive zone? Maybe he circles uh, his own a fair bit, but he doesn't know what to do with the puck once he gets in there his puck skills are very limited um again his shot is great his shot is fine his defensive awareness and and how he sets himself up in his own zone is far from where it needs to be to to be viewed as a as a potential number one nhl defenseman especially uh it's far away from where it needs to be for him to be considered a number eight overall pick um and the third best defenseman or the third defenseman taken in this draft i think i think a lot of the Important elements of his game and that he'll need to uh, to refine in order to be a national hockey defenseman just aren't there. And as much as they could be there, I, I I have no doubt that you know with with proper training, proper development, anyone doesn't matter how much you don't like them on draft day or before draft day, or even after draft day, they can they can refine a lot of the elements that they need to refine. And so I I hope I hope for their own sake. I want to see them build a good team with Connor McDavid. I hope for their own sake that that I am wrong. I hope Philip Groberg develops into the defense name to be. Um, I just I don't see it. I was I wasn't a fan of his game for uh, for a long time, um, and I I I don't I wish with him being a first round pick. He was uh, 22 for me just based on his upside, based on uh, again the speed, the size, and the shot. Those those three elements are very important, and so he was he was ranked number 22 for me just just. By virtue of, of hoping and being optimistic you can you could develop and refine the other elements of his game i just think they're so raw right now that i wouldn't have taken them this high
0: yeah that, that's an interesting point that you bring up because if there's one thing the oilers have been criticized for over the past couple of years it's player development like yeah. outside mcdavid and dreisaitl like you, you know they're, they're they're gifted athletes and you know it doesn't take much time to develop but it's. It's it's the guys outside of that level of superstardom, uh, where they've kind of struggled to turn those guys into the players they want them to be. Look at Pulley Army. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. So yeah, that's that's a very very fair point. Um, and you know what? Even if they strike out on this pick, which it's it's super early, and I want to I want to catch myself in using those words, strike me on a pick. The draft finished yesterday yeah um, so again I, I hope I very much hope for their sake that I'm wrong and that he, he can certainly take the uh, the strides next year and develop the way they need him to but if they don't uh, I think the the Oilers prospect pool has been very underrated um, I know a lot of the uh, a lot of the shine goes to the, um, the the baffling developments or lack thereof of Jesse Poarvi however you get guys like Ethan Baer and Caleb Jones uh, They were both in the AHL last year um, both. Both quite effective defensemen, I like them um, in the draft years. All I, like, I like them as prospects, they're guys that with proper development certainly have that potential to be top six uh, in, in the NHL, they certainly do have that uh, that ability to, to be national hockey defenseman. At this point, um, as you mentioned Steve, it's a matter of the Oilers taking that next step and uh, ensuring the proper development of these guys that have that potential. Because there are guys that certainly, certainly do have national hockey uh, potential in the uh, in the Oilers system. It's just a matter of of being able to um, uh, to properly uh, allow them to grow. And whether or not the Oilers are able to do that, we shall see. Um, yeah. If they if they don't, if they can't, if they strike out with guys like like Bear and Caleb Jones, then it's difficult to see them being able to to be the proper organization to, to hone in these raw elements of Broberg's games. So again, I, I hope they can hope they're able to. It's just, it's, it, it'd be. I I hope they can, and we'll leave it at that. I I don't know if they will. I don't know if they, they'll be able to, but I hope they can.
2: Yeah, I feel like, uh like for the past, I mean, not just like the past decade or so, uh we've been wondering what's going on with the Edmonton Oilers, where it's, it feels like hope is lost. So, you have every right to be critical about the pick. We'll. We'll see, I mean, it's, it's like this draft, it's something that we'll see in a couple of years. Like in 2017, the best pick turned out to be Elias Pettersson um, and he went like seventh overall. So, um, you know, and you can make like, a lot of the draft is really hindsight. Like otherwise, DeBrincat, Kucherov, they'd all be first round picks or even the first overall pick. So, Um, Yeah, it it all takes time and maybe the right development, maybe something can happen there. We'll see. Um, For the ninth pick, uh, we're kind of, we're going a little bit long here, by the way. So we might have to cut a couple of these questions short, but um, it's okay. Uh, We'll talk, but we, I did promise to talk about the top 10 at least. Uh, Trevor Zegress, um I think that's how you pronounce his name. I was kind of surprised during the draft. They said it was like Zegra, um, but I think the S is pronounced. So anyways, uh, he uh, he gets picked by the Ducks. Um, I was just looking here. He had, um, for the U.S. national team, um, He uh, he had 26 goals, 61 assists. That's 87 points in 60 games. Um, obviously that's very good. Um, he, uh, so it seems like just from the stats and just from the scouting reports I've been reading, he's a very, like he's the best, he's a very good playmaker. Um, and he, like he passed first, he doesn't really shoot often, which is fine if you're a center. Um, but he's also, he can also play wings, so he's versatile in that end. And I think that's a pretty good fit for um, the Anaheim Ducks because they kind of need a lot of winger, uh, they need a lot of forwards, um, just because a lot of their forwards in Kessler, um, Eves, those guys are either old or injured. Um, Getzlav is, is getting up there in age as well. Um, I mean, other than like Ricard Raquel and Andre Cache, who has his own injury issues, uh, they kind of ne- they, they needed to address the forward group. Um, also, he's going to be a BU uh, commit, so there's that as well. Um, but yeah, it seems like a Zegra um, could be pretty good in a couple years for the Anaheim box. Like, I like that pick uh, for for Anaheim.
1: Yep, I, uh, I I agree. I like the pick. I like the fit, and um, the effort and in the in the effort to save some time. We'll um, we'll try to make this a little faster. I guess. Um, yeah. we have in, in in a way touched on. A lot of the USDP guys um, in the past or previously on the on the podcast here um, in the last uh, last hour or so, and I think I mentioned it earlier with uh, with Turcotte. And one of the differences separating them is Turcotte's ability to play uh, a bit more sound defensively over Zieris. But that's not to, to say that Zieris can't play defensively. He um, he does fit the mold of a of a two way center. Got the size for it. He needs to fill out his his frame a little more, but he's he's got the size for it, and there's no one better. To be able to learn from in that regards than um, than Getsla. Uh and, and it does fit with what Zegros can do um, in 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 ability in his ability to use his creativity, and uh, as a pass for a centerman, uh, center or winger wherever he does fit, um, I think for the Ducks' sake they might hope that he fits better as a centerman, um, and I can certainly see that he again he has a size for it, maybe put on a few pounds um, and refine his, his defensive game, but I like the fit a lot. He's a very creative player. He debatably even more so than Jack Hughes, was the most creative player on that USDP team. It's uh, as I said I mentioned earlier, it's a matter of trying to uh, to to find the differences between that very talented group, uh, very that very talented team. Ziggurus was one of, if not the most creative player on that team. Uh, he's got phenomenal puck skills. He's another guy that fits that mold of the puck on the on a string uh, kind of player, where it almost seems like it's impossible for him to uh, to lose it, unless he wants to get rid of it he's um he's exceptionally crafty with the puck it's it's fun to watch he's another guy that's going to be um for for nothing else more than than being a good player and he'll get fans out of their seats um and, and he'll bring fans in just by bad just by virtue of being a super skilled super exciting player to watch which is good for anaheim uh, fill the uh, fill the seats and uh and bring a bit more exciting uh excite, excitement to that team He's, a, again, he's a skilled player. The, uh, the one thing I see out of him is that he's great at at creating space for himself with his skills on the puck. However, he's a little bit impatient at this point. And again, there's nobody better to learn from than Getzlaff. Uh, he's in an ideal spot for him to, uh, to be able to learn how to, to refine his, uh, his offensive talents. Sometimes you'd see him play uh, create space for himself, uh, whether it was in the neutral zone or the offensive zone. But he had a tendency to throw the puck away a bunch after creating a space for himself. So I'd like to see him a, a bit more patient uh, with the puck. And uh, other than that, though, he's... He, I, I know there were plenty, multiple multiple platforms that had Zegras as far as the number three best player in this draft. And, and I, I get that. I see it. Um, for me, the is worth sitting at six. And um, and so, I, but I, again, I'm, I'm not opposed to those that had him ranked three because he, he does have that upside his uh his skill is undeniable uh, it's, it's exciting to watch and um and i think it's a, it's a good fit for him in okay steve
0: yeah it's it's interesting because uh, according to his description he also knows how to get under the skin of his opponents kind of like how ryan kessler and corey perry were able to do and both are no longer on the ducks so uh, definitely provides that edge that uh, could make him a bit of a pest as well but an effective pest at that uh, currently committed to Boston University, so his NHL journey won't start right away. Um, and and maybe that that tendency to kind of to be a little bit of a pest maybe that affected his draft stock. As you look at guys like Backus, guys like Kessler, and kind of their offensive regression, maybe that maybe maybe they were inclined to go with more skilled players. Maybe that's why he wasn't taken sooner than ninth. But um, you you add him to. A prospect pool that is same steel, Max Comtois, Troy Terry, Max Jones in the fold. Um, it definitely accelerates the youth movement in Anaheim and in a positive way, too. So I like this pick a lot.
2: Nice. Um, Pod Colson uh, was the 10th pick. Um, I thought he was going to slip even further um, just because the report is, is that he has already signed a deal with SKA St Petersburg for 2 years. So, um even if he is like uh, successful you won't get to see him for 2 years. So that I thought he was going to slip even further down. But uh from all the reports I've been reading is like if if that KHL um contract wasn't a thing, he would be like the 3rd or 4th pick in the draft. Um he's that good. Um but just looking at his stats so far, um he had, uh, I guess, the MHL, which is the minor league system in Russia. Uh, he he had eight points in twelve games, six of them were goals, um, and he uh, in the under twenties um, he had three assists in seven games for the World Juniors. So, uh, yeah, he he seems like he has a lot of potential, but. Uh, for a team like the Vancouver Canucks, they you know they have Pedersen, they have Besser. They're gonna get Quinn Hughes up th- this round. They can afford to uh, wait on on this person um, for for the foreseeable future just because of how their prospects are. So I I, I like that. I feel like this is another good fit just because the prospect pool for the Canucks are already. Um, so huge already that they can uh, afford to take a risk like, like Pod Colson and, and and be patient with him. So Steve, you finally don't get a defenseman to talk about this.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting to see um, their uh, situation on right wing, uh, because you have Erickson, who probably wants to change his scenery. There's Granlin, Bertanen, Mott, where you don't really know what their potential is. You know, James obviously Miller. there's Besser um so and it, jt it, miller it, now it, it, it's interesting how um pod zolk uh, pod Colson sorry could uh, fit into uh their prospect pool in a couple of years uh what's what's interesting is that while he didn't uh, really shine offensively he doesn't have the offensive stats in his draft year that would make you think that he was a first round pick um let alone a top 10 pick. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, the the Russian coach, I believe at the World Juniors, isn't really known for playing some of the younger guys in the key situations where it's like, you know, the final minute of the game, penalty killing situations. Uh, the important parts of the game, he doesn't usually leave that up to the younger skaters and the guys are sports and that we're talking about this. He would put Pod Colson in those situations as a 17, 18 year old. And what's also interesting on his elite prospects page he's a skilled winger who plays with an edge that's how they describe him and it, i'm sure brett has uh, seen this um in previous years when the canucks were good they yeah. were a pain in the butt to play against they have that edge that they played with so if this guy turns out to be what they're hoping he's gonna be it's gonna look pretty good but if he doesn't it's gonna look like a first round face plant
2: yeah, he's projected as like. I see a lot of con- uh, comparables to like Evander Kane, um, Milan Lucic back when he was good. Um, all those. So he's going to be like a, a power forward. Um, so that's something that, that is uh, interesting when you mm-hmm. consider that because there's not too many power forwards in the league. Uh, Chris, uh, what what is your thoughts on Paul Colson?
1: So Colson was an interesting pick, and, and, and he was. Um his ranking was or has been volatile for for months now right uh, i i never was in the camp that had him at uh, at third overall i was never in that grouping uh he finished for me um at pick 14 um that's um i believe i at one point had him for a good chunk of time in the top 10 and to be fair the um quote unquote russian factor never really uh, had that much of an impact for uh, for for myself. Um Versus what apparently came out yesterday or two days ago about how much that factored in for the uh, the general managers, and uh, I hesitate uh, to say it was confirmed, but I believe it was, in the fact that some general managers admitted that they um, that they were sour on him and they had him farther down just by virtue of that two-year KHL contract. I know a lot of guys with those KHL contracts; most, I believe, um, they um, they have the NHL out clauses in them. I do not believe what Colson's does which is why I think um, most had him slipping or some of these general managers didn't have him as uh, as high as he could have given his skill level just um, because they know without a, a doubt that's two years that they're not gonna have him contribute to their team yeah uh, now with that being said just but Colson the player he's I think this is right around where he should go it's high upside um, with to be quite honest a, a high floor as well now unlike a lot, of, um, a lot of Russian players you can get or, or guys that, that I guess play with that high skill uh, over in Europe uh, or especially on the Russian side of it as prospects, unlike a lot of them that seem to focus uh, more on the skill side of the game, uh, Pud Kolzin has a phenomenal ability uh, to play a defensively structured game. Uh, he's also an incredible forechecker. Relentless, relentless is probably the best way to describe his game. And so regardless, two years from now, when his KHL contract is up, yeah, whether or not he fits in as a, a top-line winger or a top-six power forward, he very likely will slot in at, at, at the very least as a third-line checking forward with speed to, speed to burn um, and the offensive upside. Um, now, whether or not he, uh, he reaches that offensive potential, that upside, uh, it, it will remain to be seen, of course. Um, and he's got all the tools to do it. Similar to a guy like Broberg, he's very raw. Um, he does understand the game quite well, which is something that I think, uh, again, is lacking out of Broberg's game. The Colson understands the game quite well in all three zones. Um, so he's uh, he's effective both ways. It's nice to see his shot is phenomenal. Um, his ability in one-on-one playing is, is also phenomenal. It's, it's high end. Um, sometimes you see him make rushed or hasty decisions, in the offensive zone especially. And that's something again, that he can hone uh, as he matures and, and learns how he can dominate in the KHL. I honestly, and given a team like the Canucks, who do technically have time to burn with their prospects, um, I think that's, that's a good fit for him because it'll allow him to sit there and be given more time in, uh, in the KHL, more and more ice time um, as the next two years go by. And it'll allow him the, uh, the ability to dominate in a uh, in league. that isn't as tough as the NHL, of course. And it'll allow him to hold that offensive side of his game, uh, while also rounding out the uh, the already effective defensive structure that he has. And it's I think it's a good pick for the Um The one thing that uh, might be a little scary is that uh, is that JT Miller trade that you alluded to. Yeah. I um, I mean this is this is this is a uh, a prospects and a draft uh, a draft podcast right now, but we I mean technically the JT Miller trade falls into the realm of it because it will impact a future draft as well as, as it occurred during yeah, the draft. The problem is, is that if the Canucks and maybe if, and when the Canucks don't make the playoffs next year, the first round pick, it diverts to an unprotected 2021 first rounder. Um, and so if they don't make the playoffs in that year, that's, um, that's, you never know where that pick could end up. You look at whether or not, um, uh, wow. They, the guys like Besser and Patterson and Horvat, and I guess Quinn Hughes to a regard as well. Whether or not they keep the Canucks in outside of that top ten range, you never know where that pick could fall. So if if that twenty twenty one pick in these upcoming drafts, which should be quite loaded at the top, um, if that 2021 first rounder ends up becoming a high pick, a top three pick after the lottery, then I'm sure Canucks fans and the Canucks will be kicking themselves uh, for that. I don't like how that that pick wasn't fully. Unprotected, but um, but still, JT Miller is a good player. I, I like the Canucks going and getting JT Miller. They have its time to wait with their prospects, prospects like Pickles, and I like what they're doing with structuring their offense. Uh, I just that that trade in particular, that pick, I don't like. what's unprotected.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure um, you've learned that from uh, Pierre Dorian.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, yeah, we'll talk more about that trade. Uh, tomorrow, but we won't have Chris with us. Yeah. So, um, you know, I agree with you. I don't, I'm not sure why Vancouver decided to include the first round pick in there, but yeah, no, it, it, it especially with this Pod uh pick um, in mind. So yeah, it, it's an interesting move for them for sure. Um, all right, let's get to some questions. We are a little short for time, so I'm going to try to combine a couple of these questions together. Um, hopefully it doesn't, um, hopefully it doesn't take as long. Uh, but it was definitely cool to go in depth for all those guys and we'll see, you know, the draft is interesting too, because a lot of it is hindsight. Um, you know, a couple of years from now where we're like, why didn't this guy get picked and why didn't this guy or like that guy turned out to be a bus kind of thing. So, um, it's always interesting in, in just looking at draft, uh, draft results. Um, so the first one is, any big surprises in the first round other than the one we just talked about with Moritz Sider, but um, any other big surprises like guys you thought would fall down, um, that, that fell uh, further than you thought they would, or that rose um, up that, that you thought didn't? Um, let's go with Chris.
1: So yeah, we'll uh, again in in the effort of time, we'll we'll try to roll through this. I I I will try my hardest to make this a little a little quicker. Side (laughs) we already talked about. um, I think pre um, pre recording we were briefly mentioning uh, Lassie Thompson to Ottawa. I I guess that would technically be considered a surprise or a little bit of a reach, but it was only a reach on certain boards. I had him uh, a little higher. I like Lassie Thompson um, a lot. Um, He was um, I I like his upside. Uh, He's he's exceptionally. He's an exceptionally smooth skater. He's got a great shot as well. I, I like that pick. Um, Braden Tracy, I think, was assumed to be a second-rounder. It's not surprising he snuck into the the late first, or, or it shouldn't be, I guess. Uh, but to some, to some degree, it would be a slight shock or a slight bit of surprise. He has the upside. He has the offensive upside. Another guy with a phenomenal shot. It's quick, it's hard, it's accurate. Um, I believe he plays for... Um, he, he's on what is one of the best lines in the WHL. And I think a lot of uh, people were, were limiting his upside uh, on his own because they think he's a, uh, a result or a product of that line. I don't quite see that. I think he does create a lot of his own offense. Uh, and, again, that shot is uh, is something that should propel him to at least a depth scoring role in the NHL. I like the upside in Braden Tracy for Anaheim there with that pick. Um, not a big fan of Ryan Johnson. Uh, Buffalo taking, I believe, was 31 overall. Um, again, he's a, he's a smooth skater. He's um, The problem is I just... I don't think he's there and he ever will be there defensively to, uh, to match what, uh, what will be required of uh, a guy who likely will only fill a depth role in the NHL. I don't think his offensive upside is that where it could drag him along to being a top or a second pairing defenseman. I don't think the offensive upside is there. And as a result, he would need to rely on that defense. And I just don't think he understands the game well enough from a defensive standpoint, or at least that's what I could see in watching him. Uh, he's also a, a very emotional player. You can see on multiple occasions getting frustrated if he loses a physical battle, uh, or if he loses the puck uh, in his own zone or in the offensive zone, Um, and so that's not something that you'd like to see, especially out of a first-round pick. Uh, Simon Holmstrom was a um, a projected high pick uh, in the uh, in the draft before the season started. A few injuries, I believe, he had hip surgery. He had a a long-term concussion, Um, and I believe he also broke his. uh, I think he broke his thumb. Um, those items kind of limited his ability to showcase what he could do this year. He was supposed to be a high first round pick entering the year um, and still ended up as a first round pick to the Islanders. It's, it's a high upside pick. It'd be a bit of a surprise, I think. A uh, lot uh, believe that his injuries would drop him down to the, uh, and, and limiting, limiting his time uh, during peak development years. I believe most had him as a high upside second rounder. Uh, so it's not, again, not, not a bad thing that he stuck into the first round. Um, but a bit of a surprise there to the Islanders. And then I guess uh, someone who even going in the top 20 was, uh, was viewed as someone who fell, uh, Peyton Krebs. Big, big yeah. fan of that pick for Vegas. They, they traded some of their high, uh, their high picks from their entry-level their entry level entry draft, um, their first draft of, uh, of their franchise's career. They traded some of their high picks, and I think Krebs is, uh, is a phenomenal value pick where they got him to help replace uh, a guy like Suzuki, who they traded last year to Montreal. I, I like Krebs a lot. I think um, the injury is going to be getting uh, a little overrated in terms of what it's doing to his draft stock. Like, it's not nice. It's, it's never good to see a player uh, his age, a high prospect, high quality prospect, be um, be limited in uh, in some key development time, similar to um, similar to Simon Holmstrom. But I don't think it should limit uh, his upside. I think he still is a high upside player. Uh, it almost, I guess, seems a little similar to Matt Barzell. It was a year earlier for Barzell, but uh, he broke his kneecap um, entering his draft year, and I I think that kind of uh, helped him fall a little farther. Um, and so, a similar scenario with Krebs. He uh, he didn't free fall too too heavily from where he was projected, but I mean it uh, it still was a bit of a fall. Um, and so, I think it's a great value pick for uh, for Vegas there
2: yeah that's a good point uh Krebs seemed like it felt like it was a kind of strange that he fell just due to that injury because uh, it's like they know that he can recover from it like it, so that that felt a little strange but yeah it seems crazy that he even fell to 17 at that point uh uh Steve any surprises for you
0: yeah to add to, to the Peyton Krebs stuff um the Winnipeg ice um who, who uh, moved uh, from uh, uh, Kootenai, right. Yeah, Kootenai. Uh, from Kootenai, B.C. to uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. They they uh, did some work in uh, the um, WHO draft where they got to Matt Savoy, who was a commit uh, to uh, a U.S. college and uh, they somehow signed him to a standard player agreement. So they have a lot of bright, uh, bright future talents uh, coming up there in Winnipeg and uh, add that with peyton krebs and um he could uh, be due for an even bigger season so it'll be interesting to see how well he does um two in particular um just based on where they were drafted cole caulfield to the hats at number 15 is a bit of a surprise i i get that he was one of the shortest players ever taken in the nhl draft in history five foot seven but still the guy is possibly, from what I'm hearing, another version of Alex Debrinkit. And Debrinkit turned it into a 30 to 40 goal scorer with uh, Chicago. And Caulfield had like 72 goals with the national development team this year, um, committed to the University of Wisconsin. So he's going to be teaming with Alex Turcotte. Um, I, I find it a bit tough to pass up on his scoring sense, um, just, but I can kind of get it just because. Um, There were a lot of good two-way defensemen and two-way centers to be had uh, before he was taken. So I kind of get why his stock uh, took a hit, especially because of his size. But um, 15th overall at the Habs is still a bit of a shocker for me. Um, Another guy that kind of surprised me just based on where he was taken is Spencer Knight, who was taken by the Florida Panthers. Um, If you look at the draft combine results, um, he was top three for the shuttle run on both sides. Um, top five for the vertical jump and squad jump, no arm jump as well. Almost finished first in the standing long jump. So, in all, uh, to make it short and sweet, he did a lot of good things to the draft combine. Um, and his regular season numbers were also pretty good. I get why the Panthers, even if they get Bobrovsky in free agency, uh, they don't have any really good solid goaltending prospects outside of sam montembeau so i get why they would draft a goalie but you look at the amount of goalies that are drafted where he is at 13th overall the last guy i remember to get drafted in the top five top ten was carrie price uh when that said i think it was 2005 was his draft year and like nowadays if a goalie gets drafted in the first round it's around the l- 20s mid yeah. early late 20s so just the fact that a goalie was taken thirteenth overall was enough of a surprise for me. Even if Spencer Knight is good, thirteenth overall—that's still pretty high.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, first off, for Ca- I was Caulfield and Spencer Knight were kind of going to be my picks, but I do want to talk about both of them. Uh, Spencer Knight uh, looks like he's like uh, like the real deal here, so. Um, it, like it doesn't seem like he's going to be a bust as much and I and I can understand why Florida would want him just considering their goalie future and all that stuff so I understand it from it's that. not
0: because he's is a, a it's not just it's not mostly because he's a guy that you know maybe shouldn't have been taken that high it's just the fact that a goalie was taken so high. yeah That's
2: I guess so broken. but like he was like breaking records um, this year and just in general he's like he's he seems to be different than all the other goalie prospects in the past couple of years um and also like uh Flo- i think florida d- didn't have another draft pick till like the second round and there's no way they would have gotten spencer knight at the, in the second round um yeah, so so I think they, they found like their biggest need was Spencer Knight, so they are a, a goaltending and they, uh, they filled that up. So I think that that's pretty much the reason they did that. Uh, Cole Caulfield, um, I thought like, it's always, you would think teams would have learned due to like, especially this year with the emergence of Johnny Goudreau, Alex Sabrincat and Braden Point who are all, and Patrick Kane. Um, like all those guys are, I mean, I, on the exception of Patrick Kane, of course, like all those guys were drafted, um, in the late rounds, um, or not in the first round. Um, and like, they always slip just because of how short they are. You would think like teams would learn, like there, there are definitely some exceptions to the rule of taking a guy who's, who's short. Um, you know, so that, that felt a little strange. And of course he goes to the Montreal Canadian. So now I have to hate this guy, but, um, but yeah, it, it, seemed, it seemed ridiculous to me that he even fell to 15, um, uh, to say the least, cause he should have been maybe in the 11 or 12, I guess that should have been where he went. I was surprised that the wild didn't uh, take him instead. Um. And then the other surprise is just, I guess this leads into my other question, um, that the next question is, I was kind of surprised that, because of all the mock drafts I was looking at, all the scouting reports I was looking at, um, I was kind of surprised to see that both uh, Raphael Lavoie and Arthur Kaliev uh, fell to the second round. Um, I just remember thinking like, Going into like um, after Dallas picked, I was thinking like, oh, it's the Senators are going to pick Lavoie and they didn't, or like oh, the Jets are definitely going to pick Lavoie or Kaliev and they didn't. And I just kept on going down the list, and I I just didn't understand why they they were going to do like why teams are passing up. Um, I guess just on further look that like. For both these guys, their effort level was questioned, um, and for Kaliev's game, I guess it was more um, his uh, his uh, fe- like his um, the fact that his defensive game wasn't necessarily up there, but it seemed kind of ridiculous to me that like this guy had fifty one goals and fifty one assists. Um, in, in 67 games in the OHL, that's, uh, that's kind of, that's pretty good for an 18 year old. Um, so, um, it seems like there is definitely talent there. Uh, so Chris, uh, why do you think those two especially fell? Um, and if you have any thoughts on Spencer Knight or Cole Caulfield, um, yeah, why, uh, let us know there so
1: too. We'll uh, we'll we'll just we'll hammer right through each of them. Um, Caulfields the uh, the one thing that um, that I had mentioned before this draft um, was that with uh, with the Devils having taken Jack Hughes first overall, uh, the one thing I was watching for, uh, and I was on the edge of my seat the entire first round, was the potential for Ray Shiro with his three second round picks and two third rounders to trade into the middle first round when, if or when, a guy like Caulfield or Bowley would have fallen for that mid first round area. And so as the quote unquote free fall was happening for a guy who had 72 goals in Cole Caulfield, um, around pick 14, 15, I was sitting there and and legitimately on the edge of my seat thinking, okay, this is exactly where you need to go out and get. Them. Um, Ray Shiro uh, in, in the past, past few years since he came to New Jersey, he invests in a certain player whether it's a free agent signing or a draft pick um, or a trade he he in the past with new jersey that is historically um, paired that player with someone that might make his transition to the devils a little more comfortable so chris and mcleod oh. at 12th overall in 2016. in the second round pick with the second round pick the devils took nathan bastion A guy who there were plenty of other players around him who theoretically were a better pick maybe more skilled maybe have had higher upside but nathan bash was a teammate of mike mcleod and they were they they were notably friends and they were notably close um that could have been a one-off however then when the devils took Heisher first overall in 2017 shortly shortly thereafter the shiro went and traded for miracle mueller his countryman um, again, I may be, be reaching a storyline to try to say that he's doing so to make um, to make these players comfortable because sure there was upside for Bastion. Sure there was upside in trading for Miller. So I, I fully believe Shiro was targeting them because they were good players. However, it, it can't go unnoticed the fact that he immediately, after investing in either a high pick uh, or a trade in a player, had gone out and then notably tried to make them comfortable. And so I was looking for him. To I, I almost made a guarantee, or I had made guarantees for at least a couple friends that watch the Devils to at least take somebody else, uh, whether they're a higher end player or a lower end player from that USDP team. It didn't end up being a trade in the first round to get a guy like Coffee or Rooley, which would have been exciting and it would have been nice. But they did take Patrick Moynihan in one of the later rounds, and that was a teammate of, um, of Jack Hughes with the USDP and- team, so my uh, my prediction was right. Um, in a way and so I'm not exactly surprised at that also it helps that it was Patrick Moynihan because uh, as a later round pick he's one guy that I believe at the U18 tournament a lot of that a lot of the big guns on the, on, the, on the U18 American team were asked who the most underrated player on that team was and I think unanimously they all said Patrick Moynihan was that guy which was quite exciting to see now touching on Lavois and Kaliev uh, I think uh, it, to answer your question as to why they felt the, the flat out reason may be simple but I don't agree with the reasoning behind it um, so I know a lot of uh, a lot of scouts or a lot in the hockey community weren't exactly thrilled with uh, a quote-unquote mediocre season or a mediocre regular season at least by Lavoie and we set it up in the playoffs but his regular season out of a out of a top 20 or so prospect uh, a lot didn't quite like that and so that I think is probably the biggest factor as to why he fell out of the first round I don't agree with it I actually had him Higher than Pelche, higher than Kulin as the best, uh, the best of those forwards out of the QMJHL. Um, I I just I love his game. Again, he he's similar in the mold to so a guy like Boldy uh, or Puttgolsen, who can use his size effectively on the wing. Um, it's exciting to watch. Also pairing that with an exceptional shot and um, a high-end uh, processor to, to manage his offensive abilities, I liked him very much. So I'm I'm with you guys there on uh, on not quite. Uh, appreciating why he fell so far and into the second round. Now, on that note, good for Edmonton. That's a phenomenal pick by them um, to, to get him in the first round. Or sorry, get him in the second round there. I wouldn't have even been upset if they took him at eighth overall instead of Broberg. And so that, that's how I am on, on Lavoie. So for them to get him in the second round anyway is uh, is a big, big get for that franchise. It's exactly what uh, what they need as a nice fit on the wing there in their top six, uh, eventually at least. For Kaliev, um, I was less high on him. And I, I think where he went was exactly where I would have pegged him the higher end of the second round um, because I mean yeah he had an historic year in uh, in the OHL you can't scoff at scoring 50 goals as a draft eligible not even post-draft as a draft eligible player that's remarkable Um, and so you can't you can't deny the ability that he has to put the puck in the net but you can deny a lot of other abilities that he has I don't know, I, I soured on him a lot um, just because whenever he had the puck in the stick it was almost like you were watching a completely different player um, he didn't necessarily fight hard when he didn't have the puck whether it was in the offensive zone trying to gain the puck back or the defensive zone um, and you know what, that may have been the latter might be a result of the fact that you didn't see him in the defensive zone because he was always the last man back if they lost the puck in the offensive zone and he was always just coasting back and it's the compete level uh, and, and that work ethic that it's, um, and I mean, again, there are, there are items that we can't see. I'm not sure. He could be a gym rat. He could be sitting there uh, training off ice or studying tape, studying film. Uh, there, those are the items that we don't know about a prospect, and so it's difficult to tear down items like compete level or work ethic. But I will just speak to what he can see on the ice, and those are two items that you can clearly see are lacking on the ice. Uh, it almost just looks as though he, he doesn't he doesn't have a concern when he doesn't have the puck, and, and it's, it's remarkable how a, a switch is flipped when he has the puck on his stick Versus when he doesn't, um, mm. and so for that reason, I mean, you can't deny his ability to put the puck in the net. You can't deny his fifty goals. You can't deny his over 100 points as a draft eligible player. Um, on I don't want to say a weaker Hamilton team, but they lost a lot from their uh, from their talented squad from the year previous, um, and so for him to do that on that team was very impressive. I like where he went um, in the second round, a high-end second rounder. I don't I don't like a team wasting a first round. I, I don't want to say wasting. Sorry. I don't like a team using a first round pick on a guy with certain key questionable areas to his game, but I do like the idea of swinging for the fences on on a guy who could be an absolute gem in the second round uh, with his offensive upside. Interesting.
2: Alright. So, I guess, thanks for the very concise answers on both those guys. Um, yeah, It'll be interesting to see uh, how they develop for sure, and all these guys, how they develop. Um, Alright, and then we're going to end on this um we've hit the 2 hour mark here. Uh let's uh we're going to end with this. Uh so I guess it's hard obviously as I mentioned before that like you know it's a lot of the draft is hindsight and especially with this draft where it felt like um you couldn't go wrong with a lot of these picks but um but having said all that what team did the the best for the whole draft and then conversely what team did the worst for the whole draft. Um, I'm going to start with, uh, let's go with Steve here.
0: I'd say the team that did the best was Colorado, uh, based on what we know right now. We we talked about Byron before. At 16 with their original pick that they didn't get from Ottawa, they took Alex Newhook, who uh, played with uh, Victoria of the BCHL. The year before, he had 22 goals and 66 points in 45 games, 38 goals and 102 points in 53 games this year as team captain, and then added to that with 24 points in 15 playoff games, one of the top scorers in the BCHL during the playoffs as well. Always moving, offensively driven. He can accelerate, plays with no fear. And when you look at the options down the middle for the Avs, there are obviously plenty of them. I mean, as far as... Um, Free agents right now, there's Soderbergh, Billers, Wilson, there's Broussard, whether it's right now or in the next year or so. Um, You have a couple of key RFAs like Kamenev, Kerfoot, Comper, Tyson Yost, um, Shane Bowers, Martin Kaut, all still developing as well. Um, If this guy ends up uh, rising above all of those guys and getting a spot as like a a second or, or a third line guy, then so be it. The Abs need the best options at their disposal. They want to take the next step. And then they take Alex Bocage in uh, round three from New and um, He was a part of the Huskies championship winning team. Um, he doubled his point tolls and goal tolls from last season. Um, so anytime you can get a guy like Bocage in the third round, uh, that, definitely, uh, that definitely wins you uh, a lot of points. Uh, so I think... Out of the teams that really gained the most overall outside of the first round, Colorado
1: uh, sticks out to me.
2: All right, uh, Chris, what about you?
1: Uh, yep, yeah, I, I, I very much agree on the uh, the Colorado items, especially for the first round. Um, that You couldn't have done better. I I like how they they took the best defenseman in, in this draft uh, in a very good spot there, um, as well as New Hook is a phenomenal value where they got them with their where they got them with their second first round pick. Yeah. Uh, big fan of him and I know I'm not the only one uh, a lot of people very much like him and so to get two guys with the upsides they have um that just so happened to fit into their team needs, phenomenal pick um I, I like Sasha Metalla it was a high upside swing uh in the fifth round uh for Colorado as well um a couple of the teams that did quite well San Jose there were a couple of guys that uh, that I was a fan of um getting screwed on of in round four and then uh Artemi Niazev he's an Excellent, excellent movie defense. been skates like the winds in the second round. That was a great pick. Vegas um, had a couple of guys fall into the laps between uh, Krebs, Korzak, and round two, uh, and then Pavel Zorofiev, also quite good uh, and, and got a great value in round three. But the team for me that did the um, the best in this draft, uh, and it's, it's almost a little a little wild when you look at um, the sheer amount of picks they made. Uh, but they definitely, I think, I think hit uh, hit very well on a lot of them was carolina mm-hmm. so suzuki i think was a great value in round one yeah. i was higher on them than i think uh, others may have been i um uh, for for montreal fans i uh, i would have been happy with montreal taking the second suzuki with their first round pick as well I, I liked him a lot i think it's a great pick for carolina the one thing about suzuki um is that i think a lot of the scouts are saying he needs to learn how to play in the middle of the ice a lot more he needs to learn how to attack the center ice and attack the net a lot more. He's a bit of a perimeter player right now. But I believe his coach was on record on saying that he changed a bit of that for the, uh, the last quarter of the of the year. He did work on that. He made a conscious effort to work on that. But he's one of the most naturally skilled players, most naturally talented with the puck in this draft. So I think that's phenomenal value for Carolina. Uh, a team that, again, just needs to keep, even with Svechnikov in the, in the fold there, uh, last year they needed to keep taking high swings on high-skilled players. Need um, to bring up any stars into that that organization as possible. Uh, they took an overage goalie in the second round in Kachanov, who had phenomenal numbers. I mean, it has phenomenal numbers everywhere. If uh, for those that watched the World Junior Championships this year, he is the Russian goalie that made the save where he was on his belly and wrapped his far side leg around and blocked the puck with uh, with his backside, the backside of his uh, of his far leg. It, it, it was a uh, phenomenal save to watch, but he's a very very talented overage goalie. Um, they probably could have gotten him in the third round or, or fourth round even, but uh, by but taking a swing on him in the second round, I still do like. He's a very good goaltender for them. Uh, it's a team that maybe losing Morazek and MacAlini does need goaltending depth. Uh, Jamison Reese, also another fantastic pick in the second round. He was uh, he, had, he fought through an injury this year. He's a guy who has fantastic upside. Uh, Patrick Pustil is a guy who could have been a lot of, uh, of different rankings. had him. Was, uh, as first a first-rounder. I was a big fan of Pustil and his game. Uh, he's a very very smart he's a fast winger um he plays the, the game very effective from uh from the winning from uh, from that position and and i liked him a lot uh, and, and given the fact that there are a lot of areas where he was ranked as a first rounder getting him in the third round is fantastic and then we could have an entire pad, podcast just talking about Anthony honka uh, a guy who for years entering this year was uh was viewed as a potential high-end first round pick uh a bit bit on the smaller side but an absolutely dynamic up moving defense been skates phenomenally well as, edge work is beautiful um getting him in round three it's it's that's a robust pick but in the third round that's all you can ask for um that's a guy who could be a phenomenal value where they got him and then uh, finally getting uh, another small defenseman high upside dominic from uh, they got him in round three that's another one of the usdp players um and i think he was a guy who maybe was a bit buried uh, behind Cam york for example on that depth chart uh, in terms of uh, being able to use his offense, but I very much like that he's a very skilled player. Again, another fantastic skater. He he's similar in that mold to Antoni Honka. Uh, he can move the puck phenomenally well. His, his passes are are hard and accurate. Um, and he's again his skating alone. If you can put some some size, uh, a bit of uh, a bit of inches on his on his on his height, and then again a, a bit of pounds on his frame, if he can fill out a little bit, uh, he can take his skill into skating, and he could certainly make sure. Uh, that at least gets him into a depth role in the NHL on defense. I like story a lot. So uh, as a whole, um, Carolina made a lot of picks, but they also made a lot of very, very good picks.
2: Nice. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll say this quickly. I guess I liked uh, what the Flyers did. Um, yeah, they got Cam York in the first, um, Bobby Brink in the second. Specifically, I, I don't know too much about uh, later rounds uh, like Chris does, but. Um, I, I really like those two guys. those seem to be um, you know, like they could they could have a lot of potential and I like where they they got them at. Um, and then um, there was another of uh, oh besides a, taking a risk at uh, one, um, at the sixth spot for more Sider, I did like I was noticing what Detroit was drafting and um, anti Tumo, Omisto, um in the second round, and then they got Albin Gru, who apparently I I was only turned on the scene from him because he uh, he said that Brad Marchand was his favorite player, um, and mm-hmm. um, apparently a lot of people were saying it's like it, it shows if you watch him play. So um, so yeah, he's going to be in uh, the the Bruins division, which I don't like, but um, I I do kind of love. I feel like. The the, the hockey just needs more guys uh, who can uh, who can be a pest like that. So um, I look forward to seeing him. And if, if you're getting him in the third round, and if you get a Brad Marchand type player like that um, in the third round, I think you, you win. Um, and it's also like I feel like Eiserman just in general like finds these gems in the late rounds, like Kucherov, Tyler Johnson, Paulette all those guys. So it seems like, uh, he may, he may know what he's talking about later there. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, that was about it in terms of guys I want to talk about. Um, actually I, we do have some time, maybe you can talk about, uh, the two got, since we are podcast, I don't know if you've listened to our episodes, um, previously Chris, but, uh, we usually end the show with, um, with, uh, like, about the Bruins and the Senators, my favorite team, the Bruins, Steve's favorite team is the Senators, and uh, we usually end it just by talking about, like, what they did this week and stuff, so if you could just talk about, like, what what you had on Lassie Thompson, who the Sens picked at 19, and what John Beecher, um, a little bit more about John Beecher, um,
1: that'd be great for us. Jay, Absolutely. The show. Um, so I actually, I did, uh, I'm glad you uh, you mentioned that because I did want to talk about the uh, the Bruins. The Bruins, again, are the, uh, the team that, that I cover in regards to the prospects for uh, for Dover hockey. Um, and so I'd be remiss not to at least mention um, uh, how I believe their draft went. And now they didn't make a lot of picks. And to be perfectly blunt, I was a little disappointed with their picks. Yep. It seemed as though every team has a top and as much as the bruins have their type of the defensively responsible hard for checking but still some offensive upside forwards i would have liked for them to have swayed a bit from that and gone for uh, for some high skilled players because i agree at this point the bruins system is just littered is it's overwhelmed by having the exact same type of player in it uh they've got a lot of those defensively responsible um, defensively responsible centers or wingers and so that defines their first two picks i liked john beecher and in fact when i mentioned uh i was looking for the devils to target a um another usdp player with one of their picks in the draft i was looking at the devil's pick 34 for john beecher and so at 30 it's not like john beecher was a heavy reach for the bruins i uh, i do like the pick it's not as as much of a reach as Trent frederick was a year a few years back yeah. for them um but again john beecher at his at his best is Trent frederick as a prospect they're both just defensively responsible uh forwards with with decent offensive upside uh, be uh specifically with that usdp team he was buried and so there may be a bit more offensive jam for him to show um going forward however again it just it fits that same mold of the same player that the Bruins have and at this point you have to question whether or not they are just going to be compiling as much of the same player as they possibly can hoping to fill out their third line center role where they still well I guess after adding Charlie Coyle now so not only do they have um, (laughs) all of these exact same players in the system but they just got themselves an NHL quality player that is the exact same type the exact same role so I question um, why they didn't target uh, a bit more of the uh, the high-skilled players um, who maybe have a bit less to offer on the defensive side but who have a dynamic ability on the offensive side I get that those roles those top six rules are currently filled on the Bruins roster but I mean uh, when you have the picks to make the picks they didn't trade away um, in, in an effort to bolster for the team at the trade deadline when you have the picks to make you still need to focus on your future and the inevitable fact is that, yes, um, Patrice Bergeron is getting older, yes, Marchon is getting older. Um, uh, now, Pasternak is still right in the thick of his prime, but you need to start looking at who's gonna be taking on those those top six skilled roles uh, going forward, and and again, as much as both Bergeron and Marchon can bring that defensive element, you'd like to see them target uh, more high skill, which was available, okay. uh, certainly throughout the second and third round. There are guys that maybe would have had a bit more offensive upside than John Beecher. I like Beecher. Um, I like what he brings. I just don't know if um, if that would have been the right uh, the right yeah. upside swing for the Bruins to take. Um, and, again, same thing with a guy like Quinn Olsen. Uh, he may have a bit more offensive jam than even John Beecher does, but they got Quinn Olsen in the third round. Uh, but he's just another guy who is defined by his relentless forechecking, his ability to play a depth or a role-playing uh, position for the team, whatever team he's on. And so, again, I would have liked for them to take a higher swing at a guy with better upside. But, but still, I, I, I overall... Getting, getting those two players for a team that didn't have a, uh, a ton of picks to make, I, I was disappointed in their decision to use those on certain players, but altogether, you know what, that's John Beecher. He, he certainly fits the mold of a guy who will be an NHL player, um, just like the rest of their system currently is. Yeah. And so it's never a bad thing to get to get a guy in your system who very likely will turn out to be an NHL player um, versus the high boomer bust picks. Uh, but still, I, again, at this point, with how many of the guys there are in the Bruins system, I would like to higher upside swing. Um, now, in regards to, uh, to Lassie Thompson, I'm a big, big fan of his. Um, so for me, he was ranked uh, in, the, uh, in the top top 30. I know most had him sitting around the second round, somewhere mid-second round. I had him as a first-round pick. Um, I think he the one out of his, game, of his game that he could use a bit more work on would be his uh, ability to use uh, physical play to his advantage as a defenseman. Uh, if he wants to break through as a uh, as a first round caliber uh, two way defenseman, he might need to learn how to use uh, physicality to his advantage uh, from a defensive standpoint as well, or winning board battles. Uh, but offensively, there's not much more you could ask for out of out of a defensive prospect. Uh, his shot is fantastic. Uh, he can get it off from anywhere. He can get it off quickly, but it's very accurate. and It's very hard. Um, he's he's got exceptional edge work and, and exceptional patience, which allows him. Uh, to effectively quarterback a power play for example he's great at maintaining control along the offensive blue line and so it's nice to see a guy who can play with the confidence and the patience with the puck as well as having the skills to make sure that that confidence and patience pays off i i like him very much his positioning is also sound even from a defensive standpoint and so again if he can if he can learn to uh to win some battles physically uh, or if he can learn to use that physicality to his advantage uh, his his positioning already even from a defensive standpoint is there Obviously, we'll need a bit of refining to, uh, to be able to break through the NHL level, but as a first-round pick with high upset, I do like that pick for uh, for Ottawa.
2: Nice. Yeah, as for the, like, you you seem to take my reaction out of, like, like we have the same reaction to the, what the Bruins picked, um, where I, I felt like, oh, like, I, I was just thinking, like, either they try to get, like, a guy like Kaliev or Lavois or even Bobby Brink, but then... Um, but then it was like, and then I said, like knowing Sweeney and his draft history, he's going to pick a guy I've never heard of who like may have some potential. And like all of a sudden it's like, Oh right. Of course he picks like this guy named John Beecher who all intents and purposes could be something good. But at the same time, it feels like Kaliev and Lavois have higher upside um, even Bobby Brink as well. So
1: well, I don't Absolutely. know. It, it's it's and for for Steve. Sorry for Steve yeah. with, the, with the senators. The one thing is, I know from um, oh, yes, yes, the email uh, from uh, from both of you, you mentioned that it would have been nice to see Lavoie or Kaliev go to uh, to one of your teams there. Um, now, with Shane Pinto uh, being the seventh oh, yeah. pick there before um, before both those guys in the second round, as much as he didn't he didn't take the Lavoie or the of Shane Pinto is also a fantastic pick. He was, uh, I, I believe, he led the rookies in scoring in the USHL this year. He's a uh, he's a fast, skilled player. I, I like that pick a lot for Ottawa. Uh, maybe a little higher than others had him, but um, but I do like that pick. If they believe in him, then that's that's absolutely fine. That's a solid pick. Mad Sogard, um, also very very big, lanky goaltender, uh, but that also plays with a uh, high understanding of his angles and his positioning. I, I like him a lot. Um, that was a very good pick as as a. He's almost chair of size. I think he's like six eight. Yeah, oh, he's a he's a he's a big boy. He's a he's a big boy, but um, but I like that pick a lot for you guys. Uh, good numbers. Six seven. Yeah, he, he, uh, he played well at international competitions. I, I like that pick a lot for you guys.
2: Yeah. Um yes, yeah, Steve, I, I obviously, if you want to chime in for the, I'll, what... I'll
0: chime in now when we talk about everything else um in, okay. in the next edition, but uh, I was the fact they traded up to get so that's that's the interesting thing is they made their pick with Pinto and then Kaliab went right after. they traded up with Carolina and then they select Sogard and then literally the pick after Levois gets taken by the Oilers. <laughs> so the fact they traded it up just to not select Lavoie and they and they selected Sogard. The the one thing I will quickly say about Sogard is they have a lot of goalie depth. I don't know why they take another goalie when they have a lot of young goalies in the system already. But you know what? If if he's six eight and better than all those guys, I guess you can never have too much help on the goaltending front. I mean, the Sens are looking for that franchise goalie,
1: so. Yeah for sure and i i think a lot of teams have taken that approach in the draft in recent years where it doesn't it doesn't matter whether or not they do have uh old or young or established elite or poor goaltending Mo, a lot of teams are now taking that uh, the approach of uh, of at least somewhere between rounds two and seven drafting at least one goaltender that that your your group your staff believes in um i know the devils certainly have done that and uh, and i support that i mean you never know uh, with goaltenders how the um how the development rolls along and so I, I do support that approach even with depth at goaltender uh, i like the uh, the decision to select him either way and so i think and, and you know what uh it does happen to help that he's uh he's, he's a good one in my mind i am a big fan of uh, of his and i think he um he will quickly rise in the ranks the next few years as, uh, as a higher end goaltending prospect league-wide
2: interesting all right cool uh yeah so uh we're at a, a two hours and 20 minutes here uh, so uh, we'll we'll end tonight uh, right now um hope you uh thanks for coming on Chris uh we're actually gonna have an episode up tomorrow uh talking about everything else that happened this week in hockey um, but um, yeah thanks for coming on Chris you're a very informative uh, prospect guy and um, yeah and everything i don't know if you have any last words for you but
1: no i uh i, um, I, I appreciate very much you guys having me on here I had, it was a lot of fun in 2016 it was a lot of fun today um and as i mentioned earlier it's, it's always it's any opportunity you get to just sit there and talk about, about hockey about prospects about whatever it is it's just fun you jump in it so I, I really do appreciate you guys bringing me on here um, um before, fun. before we we sign off
0: i i, I just wanted to, to get your quick thoughts and we're going to talk about this on the next episode your thoughts on the pk suban trade <laughs> because they didn't exactly have to pay the horse and buggy to get them
1: no they didn't um so a couple of quick thoughts there's a standout um that given the quality of players that dropped out of uh, out of the first round this year, uh, that that pick thirty four that Nashville ended up getting from New Jersey that turned into other picks because they traded it away, it was almost the equivalent of a first round value pick. Um, so I know it was oh two two mid round picks or two later picks plus a couple couple throwaways for um, for PK, but that that pick thirty four did have value, and you never know where the Devils pick next year in the second round could end up. Um, also, a guy that I think is going to be very underrated as he was tied to this trade for a long time as jeremy davies i was very excited for him he was a later round pick there were two later round college players that uh, the devils had uh, in the system in both jeremy davies and riley walsh both um are very effective up moving offensive defensemen jeremy davies had just recently signed his contract with new jersey he was a big get it was very big convincing him after his third NCAA season to uh, to come over to New Jersey. Um, and they're hoping the same occurs with Riley Walsh next year. But I like Jeremy Davies. He's, uh, he's a very effective puck mover. I think that's a good get for Nashville. I think it's a, it's a very, very good get. Now uh, Santini, he's kind of fallen out of favor in New Jersey. He's a guy who very likely in um, in Nashville can just fill that rover six or seven defenseman spot. Fill him when I need to. He's, um, he's okay defensively, and he can move the puck effectively enough to play in the nhl he i'd say might fit that that um the concept of a throw in more than um more than davies and davies i think is a good quality prospect for nashville to get in return for uh, for moving out that space now i'll give a quick hit on either team so for nashville the the, the big thing's going to come down to whether or not they can they can bring duchene in it's not been a it's not been hidden that for years a good fit for nashville would be duchene um it it, it just seems like everything is aligning properly for him to to show up there and and whether or not you slot him in as a second line center or a first line center whatever it is it'd be a top six center for them um and and i think it'd be a phenomenal fit if moving that nine million dollars in salary out from um from pk's contract if that is exactly what it takes for them to bring in uh matt duchene then you know what this trade has a complete different outlook for for the um for the now i believe paul came out and said that they were they were willing to retain as much as three million on that nine million dollar contract to move pk now i think the reason why you see a smaller return uh, or a theoretical smaller return as you got from new jersey was because new jersey's one of the few teams that could afford to take on the entirety of that nine million dollar hit for three more years mm-hmm. um and so i think that may be more important for them and so from different standpoints if they were retaining three million dollars all of a sudden looking at pk suban as a 50- or 60-point offensive defenseman that's making $6 million, that'll have a lot more value. And, and not a lot of teams, A, could afford to bring that in, uh, both in roster space as well as in cap space, even $6 billion, but as well as the fact that that defense is going to hold a lot more value as a $6 billion player versus him as a $9 million player. Yeah. It's exactly what the Devils needed um, as well. And, and, and a lot of this to end up being tied to Taylor Hall. And here's the way I view it as a Devils fan. So now it makes the Taylor Hall decision much more important. Because even after getting Jack Hughes, if Taylor Hall decided, um, and I mean, for, for all the reports, it, it is relatively clear that Hall will be up front. It's not going to be a John Tavares situation. It's not going to be a Zach Parise situation. Uh, for, for all the reports, it looks as though Hall will be up front. He'll assess what Shiro does this offseason to, to either build or not build the team. And if Hall believes that's a team that can win going forward, he'll resign. And if he doesn't, he'll, he'll tell Shiro he doesn't plan on being there long-term, at which point Shiro can trade him. If, after what Shiro has done this weekend, like I mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast, it, I mean, whether or not Subban's best days are behind him, if realistically is the outlook They began this weekend with two franchise players They left before. Um, if that's enough to resign Hall, then fantastic. And I can make that noise at least... As a, as a playoff spot maybe win one round as early as next year but if Hall decides to not resign still even after all this then you're looking at a complete different situation because PK is enough to bring the Devils to that mid-level tier to maybe sort of compete for a playoff spot but it's not enough to make them really competitive and so at that point your focus should then still be on collecting good young players and your focus should then turn to Alexey Lafreniere and Quentin Byfield at the top of next year's draft. And so at that point, then trading for a $9 million, 30-year-old right-handed defenseman in P.K. Subban might make a bit less sense. Um, but again, the, that's just where the landscape changes for New Jersey. If Hall resigns, and all of a sudden, that that excites me a lot. Because this is a team that will be exciting to watch uh, between P.K. and Hall, and Hughes, and Esher. Um, you add in Jesper Bulkfuss as well, uh, who's coming over from Sweden this year. There's a lot of players that can easily get fans out of their seats. Um, and so whether or not they do push for a playoff round win or even a playoff spot, that'll be an exciting team with, you know, a decent future core if, um, if Taylor Hall resigns. If not, I'd like to not think well that scenario. I, I'm going to hope that that adding a guy like PK and a an quality like PK, as well as a guy, the quality of Jack Hughes is enough to convince Hall to stay. But if he doesn't, then they've got some thinking to do.
2: All right, cool. Yeah, that's good insight um, for sure. Um, yeah, the Devils all of a sudden became like one of the more interesting teams in the league, just because of that PK Subban trade um, and Jack Hughes, of course. Um, all right, let's uh, yeah. So we're gonna wrap this up. Um, if you're listening by now, uh, you can catch us on uh, least, uh, on SoundCloud, um, our iTunes and Spotify, uh, also wherever podcasts are stuff. Um, our Twitter is lace m uh, lace up podcast. Um, our Facebook is lace them up. Um, Chris, do you uh, where can we find you? You're on Dauber Hockey, right?
1: So yeah, yeah, you can find uh, you can find me on Dauber um, under that uh, the Bruins prospects section, uh, and within uh, the coming few days, I should have uh, a good a good profile up on guys uh, like Beecher, Um nice. and, and I'll have a bit of an update for. Um, for the Bruins uh, draft here, um, the uh, the guys at Dober are doing great work. Um, and I think I think I'm I'm very very honored and I'm happy to be a part of, of that website. The uh, the guys there are fantastic, um, and it's exciting being a part of it. Again, I, as I mentioned, it's just fun to talk about prospects, talk about hockey, and so to have a, a platform like that to do it, just like this, uh, it's it's fun. You know, um, I'm sure you guys come on here and it's. It's it's a lot of fun for you to sit here yep. and, and just just banter back and forth and talk about hockey and so it's nice having a platform like that. Um, but yeah, on Twitter, I um, uh, I'll be there. I, um, I less less so active on Facebook, um, but uh, but Twitter I'll be there. You'll know, you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of Bruins prospect retweets this year. <laughs> um, I, I'll do my best to find video of, uh, of a lot of guys uh, that might not be uh, too. Uh, uh, too notable um but that i like to bring a lot more uh a lot more attention to and so you'll, you'll see that this year um but again I, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on here i said it's just fun to sit and talk about hockey uh and if we're gonna do it might as well do it uh might as well do it where, where someone else can listen to us um yeah but i appreciate again you guys bring me on here it was a lot of fun
2: yep no problem uh i look for i i didn't realize you were covering the bruins specifically so i, I i'm gonna look forward to reading more of your work <laughs> um just just for that interest there um Absolutely. all right uh thanks uh thanks again i'm brett duboff
0: i'm steve ellsworth and we'll talk again sometime soon with a lot more trades and resignings on the list of my podcast great